Yeah, I saw climate change in action last night. Adam Curry, John C. Devorak. It's Thursday, July 5th, 2012. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination Episode 423. This is No Agenda. Clearly suffering from severe IED here at Camp Mofo in the capital of the Drone Star State, Austin Tejas. In the morning, everybody. I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where we still celebrate Americans' independence, I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Craig Von Buzzkill in the morning. Yoo-hoo! Happy 5th of July. Yes, indeed. <laughs> What'd you do yesterday? Um, Cooked, watched fireworks. Uh, Was it just you, or did you have any of the kids there? Everybody's or? around. Oh, really? And uh, well, That's nice. Is it better to do Fourth of July in, uh, in in the San Francisco area than it is up in Washington, the Washington area? It uh, depends on the on the year. Uh, generally speaking, <laughs> oh, I think really? it's actually better up there. Uh, this year, Mimi was up there, and I was down here, so she was going to go to bed. Right. So then, not everyone but a was block down away. There. Apparently, in the in the school in the backyard of or the back field of some school, it appeared as if somebody. Because fireworks are legal there, uh-huh. someone had bought like two hundred million dollars worth of Indian fire. <laughs> we finally uh, deconstructed the possibility that there were the surplus that the Indian tribes didn't sell. Yeah, okay. And it went on at least. Uh, it was apparently, and I was listening to it. Yeah, uh, it was like ten times better than the Berkeley and San Francisco and Oakland fireworks display displays combined oh, wow. with 20, 30 shells going off constantly at all at once for two hours. Oh, we, we had very little here, actually. That surprises me. Well, I'm surprised that they allowed fireworks at all, you know, uh, it being kind of dry and stuff. Yeah, it's a problem. In, in, in general, well, in general, kind of raining in Washington. So. Well, in general, I was thinking, how weird is it that we don't have a, a nationwide ban on fireworks? I mean, this is, of course, what an opportunity for terrorists to blow us up. You know, it's like that makes no <laughs> sense. Come. Yeah, make the suggestion now. That's for sure. Next year. <laughs> makes no sense that they let us do that. I, I just didn't understand it at all. <laughs> oh, man. Well, in the morning to you, John C. Dvorak. Yeah, in the morning to you, Adam Curry. In the morning to all ships at sea, boots. I wonder if our ships at sea are still listening. Of course. Boots on the ground, subs in the water. And all of our uh, human resources in the chat room. Uh, Noagendastream.com, noagendachat.net. Thank you all for joining us on this uh, day after Independence Day. And uh, being all charged up and ready to go in that uh, chat room. Keeping, keeping us honest, as always. Uh, speaking of keeping them honest, I mean, Wow. I'm upset now. Why? Well, for a number of reasons, but, you know, I can't call Anderson Cooper Anderson Pooper anymore. It's not funny now. You know, I, you know this is weird when, I, when he did this, because I thought he already had done this. Mm-mm. And I thought you were calling him Anderson Pooper because it was funny. Well, it was funny, but now it's not funny because now it's official that he's gay, and now it's like I thought it's it was. A slur. You know, see, this, it was still funny to me because I always thought it was official. <laughs> yeah, but you're anti-homo. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I, I thought he came out of the closet years ago. No, what am I? No. Where, where did I go wrong on this? Well, the thing that's that's uh, disturbing about it is, and this is uh, the main report uh, that went around. Um, and uh, so, it was, you know, uh, of course, what uh, if you don't know Anderson Cooper? 
is a journalist. He's a Vanderbilt, actually. So he's uh, when he walks anywhere, if you just look at the videos, he's got four security guys. He's not a very tall man. I'm not sure how tall he is because, of course, Wikipedia doesn't provide that information. Uh, but he's not very tall. Yeah, he looks like he's about 5'8". He's, he's always maybe. standing really... Re- no, five, I think ten. he's shorter than 5'8". I think he's... Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, look at his... He's got a big head. He's perfect for TV. And so uh, I guess the daily, you know, he was kind of coerced into, to me, it seemed like this whole thing was rather orchestrated. And uh, here's the the key, here's the key line. like distraction of the week, if you ask me. Well, yeah, and no, here's the key line from the, uh, what comes from the the press release. And this was what was propagated. Uh, So he came out in a letter to Andrew Sullivan, uh, was the Daily Beast? Yeah. Uh, Sullivan, who is gay and is a longtime friend of Cooper's, had asked the CNN anchor for his reaction to a recent Entertainment Weekly story. Here it comes. The Art of Coming Out, which was, in part, about the importance of gay celebrities coming out of the closet to combat America's bullying epidemic. (laughs) Apparently, there's an epidemic, John. What is the definition of an epidemic, by the way? No, but it's not. There's nothing to do with bullying. I can tell you that it's an epidemic. It is. It is rampant. Bullying is, and it's, and of course, it's go away. Of course, it's, um, it's, it's anti-gay bullying, no doubt. Epidemic now in a widespread occurrence of an infectious disease in a community at a particular time. So bullying is apparently a disease, a disease that, is, that yeah. is infectious, according to Entertainment Weekly. And here's so anyway, which. It's kind of important because uh, as of July 1st, new law on the books in uh, California, AB 1156, the uh, anti-bullying bill from the California Assembly. Uh, This bill, as of July 1st, 2012, would require that a pupil who has been determined by personnel of either the school district or residence or the school district of proposed enrollment to have been the victim of an act of bullying as defined, which I'll get to, Committed by a pupil of the school district in the residence, blah, 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 blah. Um, of course, uh, you will be expelled from school and uh, you will uh, go to jail. Or actually, it'll be a state-run training facility, as it's stated here. Uh, what is the definition of bullying, amongst others, at the very end of the clause? <clears throat> causing a reasonable pupil to experience substantial interference with his or her academic, academic performance... Or causing a reasonable pupil to experience substantial interference with his or her ability to participate in or benefit from the services, activities, or privileges provided by a school. This is crazy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is completely nuts. Because all you have to do is, I can't do my homework if he's interfering with me. This is just the beginning of the restriction of the First Amendment your right to free speech. We've said it so many times, but now it, it's, it's gotten to a whole new level with this law. And this will be propagated across all 50 states in one form or the other, I'm sure. But this definition of bullying, which, by the way, is a, uh, a, a, a virus, according to Entertainment Weekly, is nuts. Uh, John C. Dvorak, you are a constitutional scholar. Uh, your, your thoughts on this? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're correct in your assumptions. And then we got to have any thoughts on it. It's just it's like I think we've already nailed this in the beginning. It's an attack on free speech and, a, and an abnegation of the old sticks and stones will never hurt me concept, which 
apparently has gone by the wayside. Well, sticks and stones most do of hurt this bullying you, we're right. talking about is verbal. Right. And so so they're cranking it up a notch. And both of you, both you and I received this story from one of our producers. This is from North Texas. And there's a lot in this story. It's it's a very short blurb, but wow, it was like very, whew, man, a lot of, lot of messages here. 15-year-old boy from North Texas was shot in the forehead at close range. At clo- a 15-year-old boy from North Texas who was shot in the forehead at close range had been bullied by another teenager accused in his killing. Okay? The suspect was 14 when he and another 14-year-old were arrested and charged in the March death of uh, Nahum Martinez in Wiley, about 30 miles north of Dallas. Prosecutors say Martinez, a freshman and a member of the cross-country team, was shot in the accused teen's bedroom, then wrapped in a comforter, dropped out of a second-story window. I'm sorry I'm laughing, but this is crazy. Um, But the whole thing here was he had sent a note saying, well, you know, um, I was just kidding. And according to the story, they were, quote, buddies, whatever that means. So I guess what they're trying to propagate with this story is, um, yeah, you can stand up to bullies, but you really shouldn't because it could get out of hand. You could kill someone. So you this story story is so artificial. I mean, we don't even know what any of it and the truth of any of it i mean for one thing what's he doing in the other in the bully's bedroom a yeah well they were buddies so there's a little gay thing there i think that they're trying to and there say was the it was gay scary angle and yeah. then there was then just tossing him out the window seems rather sketchy yeah and shooting him is another thing what did he expect to, you know that's had to make a mess and i it could have been an accidental shooting the kid apparently was seen around town with a gun and he's an idiot he didn't know how to use it yeah and um and then the bullying thing was questionable, and the guy apologized. I mean, the whole th- this story is uh, is they try. I think they're trying to make something out of the story to, to yeah. To, don't stand up to bullies. That's what I'm reading. Well, it's a possibility because you could mess up. It could have all been a joke, and you know, and guns are bad, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in this story. It, it, you're yeah, right. It's, it's totally fabricated. Of, it's a lot of mixed messages. I don't think the story works as a propaganda tool. Uh, no, because no, it's too confusing. They put too many it's messages. It's too confusing. There's too many messages. You Fire that guy. Thing. People, keep it simple. Yeah, really. Even we can't deconstruct your conflicting messages. It's a mess. And congratulations, uh, John. Oh, thank you very much. I do have a clip. You might as well play it, and then we can talk about it. Okay. I haven't looked at your clips yet. I know what it is. Uh, are you sure? You? Oh, here it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the clip I was hoping you'd have. Flags were flying as Madrid woke up to the morning after a night of glory. And the previous evening's proceedings dominated the headlines, ranging from never been done before to Spain take third crown in a row. The people are euphoric. It's good for us. I have faith in this country. (laughs) We were nervous about whether our team would do it again, so of course we were delighted. Yeah, the slaves are happy. Uh, There's no no problem, no economic issues. We're just partying. And uh, wow, what, I mean, four to zero. Could it have been even any more rigged than that? (laughs) <laughs> it was ridiculous. I mean, the Italian goalie was just like in the wrong place all the time. Like, did yeah. they dope him up or what? All you need to do is get the goalie on board, and you can win these games if you. Uh, yeah, if the other goalie's not on board, especially. So, so of course, uh, I had called Italy. You had called Spain from the get go. 
Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, in the last week there, a lot of events shifted with the whole um, Euro banking breakthrough, and it really did shift right back on to Spain. So you, you called it correctly, and I give you props for that. Good job. Good job. Can't wait to two years. We have the uh, World Cup. We'll do it again. Yeah, and you, and I always say that uh, um, the one thing that, I want to kind of credit you for for the basic basic theory of the of this corruption. Oh, what a bro fest here! This is nice. And so I <laughs> used your theory to pick the right team. You had mis- I think personally had mis- was misinterpreting uh, the the activities that w- that needed uh, Spain to win and the activities that needed Italy to win. Yes, and I I think you were. I still think from when, when you first picked Italy, I thought you were. Off the, off the well, mark. the reason why is because I know that the uh, the big piece of the puzzle in Euroland is Italy. It's the seventh largest economy, and there were you know there was a lot of noise about you know the Italian banks and the Italian economy, and I thought that they would catch up with with that in time for the finals. And of course, Spain was in the middle of the news, so I was just I mean, Italy, Italy's all going to happen. I was just ahead of it. You know, I, I used the same formula. I just I was. Too ahead of myself. And at the end of the day, we both picked the final guy. So that wasn't too bad. No, it was pretty good. And people still wondering, or we've had, we tried to explain this. A lot of people just think it's weird that we, <laughs> that we talk picked, this way. <laughs> well, yeah. that we yeah. picked yeah. these things yeah. uh, event after event and we'll do it again. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll keep doing it for sure. And I'm, I wanna... I'm not telling people to go wager. No, but... because if we do that, you, then you know we'll lose. That, that, that'll that'll break the magic. Yeah. I don't think that'll work. I want to give it in the morning to uh, producers Mike and Jane who stopped by yesterday. Uh, they uh, they organized the meetup when we had the Hot Pockets 2008 tour. Yeah. And, uh, and we bumped into them on Saturday at the farmer's market, so they came over. And I just got to say, uh, Jane made a homemade potato salad, which was ugh, off the hook. And Mike makes bread himself. No bread makers. And he puts it in, uh, he puts agave in there. What an outstanding taste. Really phenomenal. And it's nice to have young kids around. How old are these people? Uh, 28, 29. Hmm. I look at that and I'm like, I'm t- almost 20 years older. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, kids, come on. <laughs> you want to jump in the pool? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Come on, you kids. Are you kids making bread? That's cute. <laughs> I think that's exactly the way I wanted to sound. I couldn't quite no, don't pull worry, it off. Get there. <laughs> I couldn't quite pull it off. But it was nice because I can see that listening to the show uh, is keeping them healthy. You know, they're not making themselves sick with with all the bull crap that's being poured into them. Oh yeah, no. I think listening to the show is going to be uh, beneficial for anybody. Yeah, uh, unless they they hate it. I mean, there are people that cannot listen to the show. Yeah, they're so plugged into the bull crap. Yeah, and they they essentially have soaked it up to the point where the listening to the show would would blow up their personalities. I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's it would impossible. Make them depressed. I don't. I, I have no idea. I mean, yeah. I've always been skeptical enough. I've I when even when I was at Cal Berkeley, you know, there used to be a I think an ironic bumper sticker that was very popular that said "Question Authority." And this is uh, what you're, I've always thought you should do. And then, curiously, though, when Obama gets in, all these same people that used to have that bumper sticker are all lockstep with Obama. 
or yeah. whatever president. Well, Mike said, actually, he said something uh, very astute. He said, you know, I really, and he's a Ron Paul guy. I mean, he's, he's like, he's got the Ron Paul hat, the bumper sticker, the, you know, the everything. And uh, he says, I really hope Romney wins because then at least, you know, the left will start protesting again. And we need that. <laughs> That's we, a good point. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was actually a pretty, yeah, that was a good point. Like, yeah, we, we need people to get in action again. Because it's the same guy. Now, officially, I think I saw the numbers. Uh, more people, uh, more uh, Americans killed in Afghanistan, not even to speak of how many um, Afghani civilians or still Iraqis. More killed during uh, the Obama presidency than uh, during the Bush presidency. Yeah, it'll add up. <laughs> yeah, it adds up. Yeah. It, oh, speaking of which, killlist.curry.com, everybody. Let's uh, take a look. We had our Tuesday t- uh, our Tuesday meeting, the uh, kill uh, kill list uh, meeting, and uh, what did we do? We picked off uh, five suspects in Yemen with a drone in the Sabawa province, central Yemen, killing five. Let's see. Uh, yep, uh, all members of Al Qaeda and two others who were traveling with them. Oh, sorry. Well. You still count as terrorists if you're traveling with them. And then we had eight in uh, Waziristan. Gee, crazy how that happens. Waziristan again, John. Right huh. there where, the, where that pipeline's coming through. Coincidence. Drone missiles struck a house in the Shawal Valley where militants were reported to be hiding in the North Waziristan <laughs> tribal region near the Afghan border. Well, we got you, didn't we? So uh, we put those on uh, killlist.curry.com. I'm now dating it. <clears throat> each entry, every single time I add to the kill list. And so far, every single show, I've been able to add a new entry to the kill list. So uh, we're doing quite good. That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 It's bitching. Pretty soon we'll have killed everyone. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, <clears throat> there's so many things, <clears throat> so many places to go. I think I should probably uh, hit you. Uh, you know, you were kind of poo pooing. The uh, LIBOR uh, rate fixing scandal, which is now yeah, taking place. Fact, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I and, was, and I think I, I did I think listen you're to the British, uh, the British uh, Parliament's. Yeah, I watched that whole thing. Three hours. Yeah, I watched of, it too. I, I almost got a clip out of it. I no, did there was no clip, clip in that, there. But, you got a clip? No, not from that particular oh. thing because it was boring. Oh, what? Yeah, I what, have a good clip though from that. All from right, that, what you got? That meeting, mm-hmm. which I I thought was. Uh, it at least got my attention. Yeah. Serious discussion about leaving the EU and what it would take for Britain to do it was being bantered back and forth between the prime minister and both sides of the aisle. And uh, it's a little, the clip's a little long, but it's it's kind of fascinating because they're so matter of fact about, well, we could stay in. It's very advantageous to stay in, but we don't want to do this. And we need our own, you know, we need to get some of our laws back. We shouldn't have Brussels telling us what to do and it's screwed up. And what would we do if we quit? If we, we, we Is there any, you know, it, it was, I thought it was weird. It was so matter of fact. A warm endorsement of Britain's continued presence in Europe. But does he also agree with me that those who wish to take Britain out of Europe now have a duty to provide detail as to what the political and economic cost would be, rather than vague promises of the Elysian fields. No, I, I think my right hand friend makes an important point, which is we need to make sure that the whole debate about our engagement in Europe is properly 
informed. I do support our membership. I do think the single market is vital for us and determining the rules of that market matter for us. But I think it's important we air these facts and figures and the balance of competences, competences review that will be launched shortly will help, I think, all parties, all politicians, all parts of civic society in Britain to see some of the arguments and some of the facts and the figures and I think that will help inform the debate. Mr David Miliband. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Further to that question, I wonder if there are any circumstances further to his negotiations in which the Prime Minister will recommend to the British people that they should leave the European Union. I, as I said, I want to stay in the European Union because of the reasons I've given, but I will always stand up for the British national interest as I see it. That is the job of being Prime Minister. Mr Peter Lilly. My right honourable friend will know that my opposition <coughs> to uh, excessive centralisation of power in Europe has never been in doubt. Yeah. Indeed, the only doubt which my Euroscepticism has given rise to was that which John Major cast upon my paternity. <laughs> but will he agree with me that what we need is not a commitment to an in-out referendum, but a commitment to insisting that our partners give us back powers to govern ourselves if they want our agreement for them to subordinate themselves further to centralization in Europe. You know, uh, I'm, I'm pissed now because uh, just before the show, uh, my entire system crashed because of all this bullcrap flash in Adobe that just seizes up your system. Uh, and I was looking, uh, I, I was looking for a clip which I had uh, marked in my notes uh, from the European Parliament, where uh, just before they did a whole bunch of votes, which we'll talk about, um, Barroso stood up. And said, uh, yeah, hello to our uh, UK contingent. I'm not, and he was waving his finger at them. He's like, I really don't like your prime minister talking about leaving the Eurozone. This is bull crap. I don't want to hear that. It was really a shut up slave moment. I'll have to find it for Sunday. Uh, oh, but, yeah. Yeah, but I want to hear that. It was, and he because was waving the, his he's finger. referring to this specific yeah, oh, no, this uh, incident. Is, exactly. And I'm so pissed now because I just, I just ran out of time. I had to re reboot the machine. But I'll mark that. I'll, I'll make sure I get that. I was actually, I want to go back to this LIBOR thing because now LIBOR is uh, the London uh, Interchange Bank Overnight Rate. It is the it really sets the interest rates for the entire world. And of course, this story coming out really is is the scam. You know, this has been going on forever and ever. This is, you know, it's no secret. Only now we can point to a couple of banks, which is total bullcrap because you can't do this with just a couple. Uh, and. This whole three hours that I watched, and I guess you watched it as well, was nothing more. It was, it was like watching Rupert Murdoch, you know, like, yes, there were some elements in the company. I'm disgusted. It makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> you know, and it's like they, it's a show for, for the idiots. So, the, you know, the news can pull some boring ass clip, which we couldn't even find. Something was so boring. And, and they're probably all showing, oh, I'm disgusted. It's just a single, you know, rogue traders, rogue elements, whatever. But on CNBC... They were talking about this, and this is this is really the truth. You know, oh boy, the truth on CNBC. What may be less trivial is this uh, situation, this scandal involving LIBOR. Oh, well, welcome Marcus. to the banking industry. I mean, come on, you know. No, but you know, you, you hear about these things. Exchange, and you used to think that these were conspiracy theories, right? You hear about you hear this about did there people are manipulating? Yeah, those idiots like Curry, it's just conspiracy theories. But it turns out it's true. Five more people are manipulating the, the silver markets, and you'd say and they are. They are. And they are. And they are. And they are. 
are, eh? We all agree. Well, it's because these markets have become so concentrated that a few players can do it. If you had 20 or 30 clearing banks setting LIBOR, it would be harder do to do. Do you think that they've conspired together or Hello? they're just conspiring internally? It's, it's like a whole market. What are we going to We're just talking about guilds in Europe and the taxi industry. It's the same thing. They want to limit competition and increase their own spreads. That's what this is all about. But, but how bad is it going to get? Is there a lot more? You think there are many more shoes to drop? Who knows? I mean, how bad it wouldn't surprise impacted? me. I worked you... in the city of London, so none of this surprises me. I mean, it's, you know, same old stuff. Hey, man, just, what are you talking about, idiot? It's, we know this is going on. Here's the problem with it, though. Now, besides that it, you know, it sets interest rates and they've been scamming, Every single derivative, and what are derivatives now? $600, $800 trillion. I think President Obama actually admitted that he knew it was a $600 trillion market. It's unbelievable. Every single derivative is based on LIBOR somewhere in the transaction. I know. I've, uh, I studied these. I built a derivatives trading desk for Bankers Trust before they uh, went out of business for falsifying derivatives trading. <laughs> um, they didn't know what they were doing. The British guys know how to do it. it. Well, it was all British guys. And it, and it's literally, uh, you know, just like, you know, I'll take this and take that. There's some faxes that exchange. It's, you know, nothing's documented. There's no regulation. But lawsuits are now starting to happen. And this could unwind the entire derivatives trade. If more banks, if it turns out that more banks were involved and if, you know, more people come forward, then people who have derivatives are going to say, well, hold on a second. You were screwing me because you rigged the, the LIBOR rate. So I was either paying too much, too little or whatever. I mean, it, it's false. It's falsifying stuff. And that's the danger of this is that the derivatives market could start to unwind through lawsuits. And I don't know if it's going to happen, but this certainly is a, an interesting crack. I'll is not going to happen, uh, at least in any big way probably happen with a couple of big players uh especially after the first couple of people wind up dead yeah well that's 600 trillion i think there's a lot of the, yeah. uh, potential here yeah for for some uh, actual uh two to the head stuff yeah i uh, meanwhile uh things still not right with uh, the banks in uh, gitmo nation east in the uk uh it's interesting how you know this of course is the rbs and uh, natwest uh software upgrade glitch and uh, but it's interesting how all the mistakes that are made, like people paying their mortgage twice, their car payments debited twice. No one's getting like a deposit twice. <laughs> every single and maybe it's because people, you know, get like, oh, I got extra money. I'm not going to say anything. But every single thing you read about this is about people getting screwed out of their money. And now Santander has this problem. So, you know, I'm not sure. If, is Santander part of RBS? I mean, I didn't think it was. Uh, who owns Santander? Me. Santander Bank. I have no idea who uh, who owns it, but now they're having problems. And uh, they say, oh, you know, we the, all the online systems, they're sluggish. You know, oh, sorry, you can't give you an accurate accounting. I get per day maybe five sometimes 10 emails of people over in the UK saying, you know, I can't log on. I'm getting, uh, you know, um, account balances from three days ago. So th this is, this is not just, you know, it's like something that's always one, one guy, a low level guy who messed up the upgrade. Please. You're so insulting to me. It's the largest bank in the Eurozone, Spanish yeah. banking. Well, group. they got a problem. There's okay. Well, there you go. So they have a problem with their online system. Something is happening. Uh, 
I'm just thinking more and more these banks like do whatever they can just to not have to pay anything because you know like you know it's like what you do at home. You know, yeah, stall. yeah, you don't pick up the phone. You, you didn't get it. You see the caller ID. You know, it's like, oh, it's another <laughs> bill collector. Uh, don't answer the phone. Go ahead, don't answer that. You know, and wait until you get your check in. So zombies abound there in the Eurozone. It's not good. It's not good. Um, you know, before we continue, let's. how did we do? Did we do okay for a, a July where no one cares about us? Uh, well, we, we, we just got by. We do have an executive producer and an associate executive. Hey, we have a four, yeah, four, two, three club member. That's nice. Yeah. We have uh, Bill Hertha in Thornhill, Ontario, $423. He'll be executive producer for show four, two, three with four, two, three. Let me offer my best wishes to Adam and Mickey. Oh, interesting. He misspelled Mickey the same way you did in a, in your email, John. Thanks for that. Did I spell it wrong? Again, I didn't spell it M I C K Y. After I sent you a note saying, uh, "Hey, you need to before you send this out, well, please know, change the spell it." Spell checker <laughs> must have reset it. You can teach it words, you know. Huh? You can tell it to learn the spelling. Anyway, Miss Mickey, Miss Mickey received Mickey that without the E on their upcoming wedding. I'd like to thank both of you for biweekly mental floss, my regular cleansing of the mental crud <laughs> that is just. This deposited by the crap I hear on the regular media. Yeah. Thank you very much. The donation puts me over the top, and he's going to be a knighthood, and he's got some uh, accounting there. Um, yeah. Miss Mickey is on the list, you know. She's like, does John just really hate me? Uh, she's not saying that. It was. I'm telling you, Mickey, Mickey, it was a spell checker. Sir Anonymous in Napierville, Illinois, $200. Uh Thanks to the best podcast in the universe. Looking for some job karma and karma from Mickey, M-I-C-K-Y, and Adam. A karma double shot, if that's possible. No, we'll, just, we'll, uh, we'll just count it twice. Thank you so much. You've got karma. Yeah, we leave on uh, Monday. And Sir Anonymous is, uh, that means we got work to do, my friend. That means Sir Anonymous yeah. is um, uh, associate executive producer. I'm sorry, I'm slow today. And that's it? Yeah, that's it. That's two two people. Right. Yeah, well, that's a great. Yesterday was a holiday. Nobody, you know, I'm yeah, sure. A people, holiday only in America. How about the rest of the world? You know, the rest of the world cares. The rest of the world know, they, just they, they continues. Spain one, you know, so they have to drink all night. Um. <laughs> so anyway, I want to remind people they can help us out, maybe improve our Sunday numbers with uh, a visit to uh, org slash NA channel to Dvorak.com slash NA, noagendashow.com or noagendanation.com and um, bring up our uh, contributions. If you wake up with the blues, trying to fill your day with news, there's one thing you must remember, no agenda in the morning. For a healthy, balanced news diet, try noagendashow.com. Now with aspartame. Uh, so I will uh, reiterate that if you'd like to support the program as value for value only, if you're getting some value out of this and you think it's worth it, uh, consider what you're spending on other avenues of entertainment and maybe you could save on that and help us out so we can continue what we do. Dvorak.org slash N-A. And even though I've stopped this initiative, I could not uh, pass up the opportunity to thank uh, two producers who did uh, register some domain names for us. 
and I'm okay with uh, mentioning these. John uh, in Nebraska. No, is he? In, uh, yeah, I think he is. Yeah, he's at the uh, University of Nebraska, I think. Uh, anyway, he... Uh, Huskers. He registered DroneU.com. As in Drone University, and that like is that. foreign to no agenda show dot com. And a lot of people still trying to come up with uh, words for the autonomous drone uh, fleet that will soon be flying over our skies, making their own internal uh, autonomous kill decisions. We had uh, guardian angels. We had well, of course, Skynet. And um, uh, who was this? Urgh, I didn't get his name. I'm going to have to, I'll put it in the show notes. He registered Obama's little helpers.com, <laughs> which I thought was kind of a good one. So if, you, if you'd like to send someone to our show site, uh, just send them to Obama's little helpers.com. It's something we all can remember. And of course, you can always go out and do something very important, which is propagating our formula. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. Never gets old. But she says she says it so angrily. Yeah. Just let me just Shut up, slave. You know that girl is growing up to be no good. <laughs> no, she'll be good. <laughs> well she'll be actually she'll be excellent. I, but it's like her she's gonna be a mean uh date. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um well we could stay in the Eurozone for a little bit. That seems to be, you know, now that the uh Boy, this was fantastic. We had this big breakthrough, as uh, Haiku Herman called it, the big breakthrough for gross and stability in the Eurozone. And uh, the Euro popped up. And uh, what is it? It's right back down where it was, I think. Uh, it should be Back down south. to 124. To be so. yeah. uh, our, uh, the man we're a big fan of, Nigel Farage, of course, had to stand up in the... Uh, in the uh, European Parliament and say a few words. I don't have to ask you. I know you'll love hearing him. Well, that's the 19th crisis summit that Mr. Cameron's been to. As the Rolling Stones might say, the 19th nervous breakdown. And that's reflected, I think, by the funereal mood in this chamber this morning. Yes, on that Friday morning, breakthrough was cried. And indeed, Mr. Van Rompuy parroted the word this morning. Breakthrough. (laughs) Nobody believes you. The wheels are coming off. (laughs) <laughs> this European stability mechanism, your new bailout vehicle, is doomed before it starts. We have legal challenges in Ireland and in Germany. We have the Estonian Justice Minister saying it won't fit their constitution. Uh, but most fun of all, the Finns and the Dutch seem to have broken the agreement that was made in the middle of the night. Perhaps they were excluded from this. Perhaps the little countries don't have a say in Europe at all anymore. It's not credible. And I think the Euro crisis now looks to me to be, frankly, insoluble. And there's also a massive crisis of leadership. You know, it's lovely to see you, Mr. Van Rompuy. You've not been here for many months. It's delightful uh, to have you back. Uh, Last time you were here, you told us we turned the corner. By the way, you have to watch this video in the show notes, 423.nashownotes.com. Van Rompuy is so uncomfortable with this. He he doesn't know what to do. He's like, his hands are moving all over his... Well, calling him out for never showing up is something. Well, you think that's bad? Wait until you hear what he says to Barossa, which you and I could have thought up this line. This is a great line. 
that the worst of the crisis was over. And with every one of your predictions, it goes on getting worse. I'm sorry, sir, you don't have the presence, the credibility or the standing for the international markets to believe that you can provide a solution. And Mr Barroso here at the G20, when he stood up at the press conference and said, we don't need any lessons in democracy, said the unelected president of the <laughs> European Commission. I mean, you went on to say that the Euro- How funny is that? That's a good one. He's genius. Eurozone's problems had been caused by unorthodox practices in North America. You've made yourselves an international laughing stock. You don't have any credibility, but one piece of helpful advice from me. Don't this summer go on any billionaire's yachts on extended holidays, <laughs> because the markets guarantee we'll all be back here in August. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. I wonder who, what billionaires they've been hanging out with, because that's obviously a reference to some specific oh, yeah. incident. Oh, yeah. That, that's alerting all of, the, uh, all of the media. Oh, crap. We've got to go down to the south of France. We've got to go yeah. see who's getting on the, on the ship. So let me uh, just give you a little rundown of what's happening in the, in the Euroland zone. So he, uh, Nigel spoke about Finland and the Netherlands, as we discussed, blocking uh, the ESM, the, the European Stability Mechanism, which, as you remember, was not supposed to be implemented for another year or two. And I, was so, uh, and, you know, and I called this. I said, this thing is going to be moved forward. This is the big one. It's a blank check. Uh, uh, you know, it starts off with 700 billion euros paid for by all the slaves from your taxes. Of course, your, your countries don't have the taxes. They have to borrow the money. Uh, to hand over, it's now going directly into the bank. So that's your tax money going directly into commercial companies, i.e. banks, to uh, recapitalize the whole system. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, it's uh, if there's a cash call, countries have seven days to ante up. Otherwise, you know, you go to jail or whatever. Something bad happens to you. And uh, the Netherlands was like, you know, you heard Nigel Farage there say, well, you know, they don't count. You did it in the middle of the night. The Netherlands can't vote on stuff like this because they have a, a decommissioned uh, cabinet. They don't have elections until you know the cabinet fell over this very issue. Uh, but it doesn't matter. As it turns out, I have the uh, here. I have it here. Um, they cannot block the emergency funds. You'll recall, maybe if you remember we were going through how the voting structure works, and we, we basically figured out if France and Germany say yes to anything, all the other countries can just go pound sand. Uh, mm-hmm. So, indeed, for the ESM, uh, only 85% of the votes are necessary. The Netherlands and Finland are too small to block the decisions, but it's all moot point anyway because the Dutch Senate approved the uh, ESM Eurozone uh, Rescue Fund uh, just two days ago, and so now that's a shoe-in, even though by law they really can't even make decisions like this. So that's done. Uh, that's in, and literally your tax money or whatever you're, you're on the hook for as a taxpayer, because your countries will borrow it, is going directly to banks, which is just ludicrous. <laughs> um, it's like the banks are just... Uh, yeah. So um, I see you have a clip, so I'd love to hear your clip. Uh, the, and, and this is a red herring distraction, by the way. And I have, I, I have the, uh, the reasoning why. Um, ACTA, the, the super secret, um, what does it call, uh, copyright act that the entire world is signing on to that we've been told uh, we could not know about in its entirety uh, because there would be riots in the streets. This is what our, our politicians here have told us. 
uh, the Eurozone rejected ACTA in their vote. And uh, you have a clip here of that? Yeah, this is the rundown on. Uh, it, it, I had to actually cut this way back because there's a. Because it, it was boring. Uh, it was run on RT, so it had it's all it's like nasty, you know, nastiness to it about oh, the Americans and the Australians signed it, but the Europeans were smart enough not to, kind of angle. And uh, this is the, the story, basically. Our top story, then, a sigh of relief from Europe's Internet users. The EU Parliament rejected the notorious online piracy treaty, ACTA. The anti-counterfeiting trade agreement was drafted to protect Internet copyright laws, but met with widespread outrage in Europe for threatening people's web freedom. And there, well, my colleague Anissa Nawi Bedelia spoke with the Citizens Advocacy Group founder, Jeremy Zimmerman. He believes that copyright laws must be reformed, but not at the expense of online users. This victory must be the beginning of something else. And through the victory on ACTA, we, we hope that the EU policymakers will understand that this endless spiral of repression that is being pushed for the last 15 years by the entertainment industry has to stop. That uh, combating our cultural practices online is not an option and would only be done at the expense of our fundamental freedoms and of the, the very fabric of what is a free internet. So we, we have concrete proposals, and they're already on the table of the EU policymakers, about reforming copyright, about making our cultural practices legal, that sharing and remix of cultural goods be made legal into the law so we can end this war against sharing. Certainly people are going to be arguing that ditching ACTA could be a green light for pirates and fraudsters to openly defy copyright law. Briefly, what do you say to that argument? Well, what I say is that it's the notion of copyright itself that should be revised. We all have the, the, the capacity today to participate in culture, to, to share, to rip, to remix. We are all participants to, to culture, and it is a fundamental right. It is copyright that should be adapted to society and not the other way around. All right. Great words there, French guy. However, the EU Commissioner of International Trade... That would be a Belgian guy, and he's a very interesting fellow. His name is Karel de Gucht. Um, here's his words, <clears throat> and I quote, I don't have any audio or video, unfortunately, but he, uh, he said the following, uh, just before the vote, if you decide a, for a negative vote before the European court rules, let me tell you, the commission will nonetheless continue to pursue the current procedure before the court as we are entitled to. A negative vote will not stop the proceedings before the court of justice. So he's going to kick this up a notch. If the court questions the conformity of the agreement with the treaties, we will assess at that stage how this can be addressed. So he goes on to say uh, uh, at the end here, uh, once we will have identified and discussed the uh, possible clarifications, I would intend to make a second request for consent to the European Parliament, whether the Parliament will consider it under this under this legislature or the subsequent one will be for you to decide. <laughs> so what he's saying is this is uh, the same thing they said to the Irish. Yeah, it's basically like we're gonna keep make, Yeah, we're gonna keep voting until you vote yes. Yeah, and, and you he, voted no. Okay, let's do it again. Even if it's the next uh, parliament, you know, it's like we'll just do it again. We don't give a crap about it. you know this guy Karl de Gucht. This guy is a total a hole. You should look at his wiki page. Um, I and, spell it. Uh, K A R E L. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> K A R E L space. Uh huh. D E. Uh huh. Space. 
G-U-C-H-T. G-U-C-H-T. This guy, he was involved in insider trading. Like here, November 2008, he was minister in the federal he government. Looks like a dick. Exactly. He was accused of insider trading in the case of the near bankruptcy and subsequential nationalization and sale of Fortis Bank. On October 3rd, 2008, his wife, uh, Mireille, and brother-in-law sold their shares in Fortis Bank after a government crisis meeting to deal with the precarious financial situation of the bank hours before the public announcement that the Dutch arm of the bank would be nationalized. And he says, hey, man, they sold like 500,000 euros worth of Fortis shares before the, before the news came out. He's like, no, man, I didn't tell them anything. They were just, you know. They just really, got lucky. They got lucky. Exactly. It did 2007 interview. Uh, he said the following about the Lisbon Treaty. The aim of the constitutional treaty was to be more readable. The aim of this treaty is to be unreadable. The Constitution aimed to be clear, whereas this tra- treaty had to be unclear. It is a success. <laughs> this guy is numero uno douchebag. Douchebag. So he, well, the, he's obviously working for Hollywood interests. Just yeah, and just, but just look at his history. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a sleazeball. He's a total sleazeball. So here's what the well, that was a good catch, by the way. Well, here's the stuff that kind of threw me for a loop. So everyone's talking about acta, acta, acta. But during the same session, here's the things that the uh, the the members of European Parliament did approve. A series of reports by the Agriculture Committee on Agricultural Policy, which I'm looking into for Sunday's show. They approved three deals to improve trade terms with Russia. That would be oil and gas. Adopted a report on proposals to make direct payments for farmers fairer across the EU. Agenda 21. Adopt a report on the mandate for trilog negotiations on the 2013 budget. No idea what that means. Adopted a report on the EU strategy for the protection of animals. Yeah, and they will be more protected than humans, I'm sure. Adopt a resolution on the establishment of an EU legal framework for the protection of stray pets and animals. There you go. Adopt a resolution calling for all EU citizens to have access to a basic bank account. Of course. We need to have your money electronic, bitches. You can't have any cash anymore. And... uh, then some other uh, some other stuff. But so I'm going to look into the agriculture thing, the direct payments to the farmers, and this uh, banking thing is troubling. And what the, was that other one you said you didn't get? It was trilog. What was that referring yeah, the, to? Yeah, the trilog. Where is it? It's trilog. Yeah, trilog. I guess there's a dialogue and there's a trilog. Hmm. Ad- adopt a report on the mandate for the trilog negotiations. Well, let's take a look at the Book of Knowledge. If there's any entry for it, trilogue. I guess that's three parties. So who could that be? The United trilogue. States, Russia, and them? I don't know. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, and I do want to try something here. Uh, by doing some French news since we, uh, we have exactly one listener in France. Oh, yeah, the French hate us. Yeah. And uh, so very interesting. Sarkozy. And apparently, I, you know, I'm coming to the conclusion they're cheap, too. Hmm. Just like the Indians. Uh, So Sarkozy and uh, Carla Bruni have fled to Canada. They have left the country. Of course, his political immunity ended on uh, June 16th when uh, he was no longer the president. 
And, uh, you know, it turns out that, well, there's a couple things going on. One, it seems that there's a $100 billion hole in the budget that wasn't clear, that they didn't know about. That's now just popped up on the radar. It's all over the French press. Um, He still is uh, being investigated. And they've had uh, police officers and inspectors raid his home. So they actually raided his home and came out with boxes. You know, that's usually not a good look. No, I don't think that's a good thing to see. Um, but here's some of the uh, here's some of the stuff that the French are getting pretty angry about. And this is here's your smoking gun. Uh, Sarkozy, <clears throat> during his reign of terror, ordered 264 opinion polls about himself while president at a cost of six point three five billion euros. Wow. Um, I thought you were going to say six million. Six point three five billion euros, and according to what yeah, I'm that reading, sounds pretty corrupt. You, those opinion polls shouldn't cost that much. Well, but here's the problem: uh, during 2009 and 2010, all of these opinion polls came back with the same answer: the guy more popular than you is Dominique Strauss-Kahn. Four months later, Strauss-Kahn. Arrested for humping a maid, right? And then further arrested they because he came back to it once. Once that fell apart, he came back to France to high popularity again. So they had to screw with him again, again. So yeah. they busted him running a prostitute. That turns out he was a pimp. <laughs> His wife finally got fed up with the whole thing and left him. He's like, Yo, Dominique, man, a DSK, bro. This got a, easy on the pimping. Okay, it's not crazy. Yeah, that's great. And I'll do one more, and then I'll get out that's of the... That's pretty dirty. That, anyway, but Sarkozy has has fled. He's in Canada. He's hiding out. And this, by the way, I don't think is... Uh, I don't think this is public knowledge yet. That he, Let me see. Mr. Oil is feeding me this one. He who happens to be in France right now. Boy gets around. Yeah, apparently he left the night before the raid on the last flight out to Canada. Before the raid. Oh, man. Um, the German Secret Service, the BND, Bundesnachrichtendienst, uh, in 2009 received the uh, mission to find out what would happen if the economic stimulus stimuli across the Eurozone uh, would not work or what it would take to, uh, to stop the inevitable. And their report has now been leaked. And they say that unless 10 trillion euros is invested, and I think the total amount that was invested is like more like three in the eurozone. Would you say that's about right? 3.2, I think, is the number. There was 3.7. I, I actually don't, don't re- actually remember. It's, so, it's somewhere around that number, between three and four. Um, according to the German Secret Service, if they don't invest at least three, $10 trillion within three years, that would be now, this report was done in 2009, Within three years, World War Three would erupt. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's not a good one. That's not good. And no. Well, it, I mean, it's a good find. Yeah, but, and we can put our heads in the sand all we want, but this is happening. This is actually happening around us. Banks, like, making software upgrade mistakes, like... Hey, you know, those guys were cheating on LIBOR, derivatives falling apart. Come on, man. 
We live in interesting times, Confucius. So uh, Sarkozy ran off to to hang out to, or to be coddled by the fourth richest Canadian, this guy uh, Desmarais. Oh, you have the you, a, you have the the news that he's there now. Yeah, it's actually been running in the British papers. Mm. And so the, he's apparently ran off to the to, with this guy's worth four point five billion, which is chicken well, feed by comparison to yeah. somebody. I mean, pff, but, this guy's low level. But he uh, uh, came under fire after uh, Sarkozy apparently was taking bribes from Lillian Betancourt, right, uh, L'Oreal ca- heiress. Yeah, that, that's what the whole France's investigation wealthiest is about. Woman. Yeah, that's what the investigation is about. And so the whole thing has fallen apart for this guy. So he's uh, in Quebec. I give him six months before uh, Carla Bruni kicks him out. Oh, she'll be out of there. She yeah. can't put up with. She's going to go back to Mick Jagger or something. So yeah, someone a little more less political. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. She just in fact, we can put it in the red book. Yeah, I mean she she's not going to stand for this. You know, she was living large, first lady of France. You know, the only downside is she had to wear her flat shoes, couldn't wear high heels, and she's done with that now. I can just see her, Nicola. I'm done. I'm done with you, and I'm going to put on my high heels, you little twerp. <laughs> <laughs> I have a musical career to yeah, attend women to. women like that love wearing big heels. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, and she's beautiful. And she's beautiful. She doesn't need this hassle. She really doesn't need the hassle. I'm sorry. So the Desmarais family also maintains relationships with the French Dassault industrial dynasties, Peugeot oh, that's, and Rothschild, yeah, they, among others. They're aircraft uh, people, Dassault. Yeah. Yeah. They also own a nice Santa Mion winery, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, um, you, you would know that, wouldn't you? Yeah. I've had it. It's good wine. Mm. Interesting. This is going to be good. I yeah, think this no, will be worth following. It'll give us a little French news for a change. Yeah, well, maybe some you know our one French listener can you know kick in and uh, give us some info. I mean, that's that's the best thing you can do is feed us some information. Let us know what yeah. what you're seeing on the street. You know, send us a message through Minitel. Whatever it is. A mini-tell. And while you're at it, you know, consider supporting the show, you cheap bastards. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So, uh... Uh, anyway, same old script. They're doing it again. It's just, uh, just can't get enough of, uh, of how they're trying to attack Syria. Uh, so, you know, we've tried everything. We've got, uh, you know, we did our Geneva meeting. Man, not too much came out of it. By the way... Lucifer Clippity Clop Hinton Clinton took our advice. Where is she going this week? Where is she going to be tomorrow? Paris, of course. She, she needs her, to. I mean, if you've seen, uh, we saw her what hair. She's been looking like her hair looks like crap. So you watch. She's going to look fabulous. Yeah, for about about two or three days. Yeah, you know, why doesn't she have a full time professional? She's got the budget. No, but it's the the French hairdressers. They don't travel. They like you come to me, Hilary. Hillary, you come to me. I don't feel like traveling to all your crazy destinations. You think there'd be somebody they could t- send to, to hang out with her? So what Hillary? I mean, the last done, time I saw her, she was at this thing about slave trading, which I had. I was I didn't get a clip for it, but I might for the next show. And um, she had a. She was wearing a ponytail. She's gone that. Yeah. Far oh no! Off. It's it, that's when women are have when they're fed up with their hair. It's ponytail time. Yeah, they just pull it back, ponytail, and which is a kind of a cool look, but not on her. her head's <laughs> not on a woman that's seventy. Please, now don't be ageist. Isn't so, she? No, I she's not that woman. No, she's in her sixties. Being she's ageist, 60, she's sixty-three. 
Okay, well, almost 70. Um, so, uh, WikiLeaks. Oh, we have all the communications about how bad the Assad regime is. Woo! And all the horrible companies that are sending uh, weapons. What a coincidence. Oh, and, you know, this is such a setup. And, of course, it's not like they released the two million documents to us. No, says WikiLeaks at WikiLeaks.org, which I thought didn't work anymore, but it apparently just works. Over the next two months, groundbreaking stories derived from the files will appear in Al-Akbar in Lebanon, Al-Mazri Al-Yom in Egypt, ARD in Germany, Associated Press in the U.S., L'Espresso in Italy, Oni in France, Publico in Espain, España. Uh, all other uh, publications will announce themselves closer to the publishing date. This is, we've seen this before. This is how the CIA does it. And all of a sudden, oh, Julian Assange, he's, he's our hero again. And, you know, they've released three, like three or four documents this morning, because this is a release from today. And, you know, the first one is an Italian company, Fin Mechanica. You know, they were supplying uh, communications equipment to the Syrian police, the bastards. Come on, man. <laughs> you know, so, so this is just who are we going to call out? You know, who is our enemy? Who are going to make like a doofus? And, of course, we're going to make... Uh, Assad looked like a total a-hole, which is being done in conjunction with my favorite institution, don't be confused by the name, Human Rights Watch. Now, Human Rights Watch is um, receives an annual $100 million grant from George Soros Open Society Foundation. And uh, they've come out with a damning report, I tell you. Headline. We made them suck their own blood off the floor. <laughs> what? Headline. Headline from the report. Oh, man. We That's a good one. We took their fingernails out with pliers and made them eat them. We made them suck their own blood off the floor. Grizzly accounts from inside Syria's 27 torture centers. Yes, Human Rights Watch report released as Syrian President Bashar al-Assad says he regrets the shooting down of a Turkish jet. These people are horrible. Detainees were beaten with batons and cables burned with acid, sexually assaulted, and their fingernails torn out, and they had to suck their own blood. So I'm like, I got to read this report. This is uh, there's some good stuff in here. Here's the here's so you you want to always look at the report and what it's based on. And this is what I do as a government legislation analyst. Uh, this report is based on 200 interviews conducted by Human Rights Watch since the beginning of the anti-government demonstrations in Syria. Uh, most of these interviews were conducted by telephone and Skype. That's their proof. <laughs> this whole report is based on 200 people they Skyped with who said, hey, man, they were pulling out our fingernails and made us suck the blood. I'm sorry. It sounds pretty far-fetched. This is, this is bull crap. And look who's behind the report. Come on, people. But these headlines, it's just too much. Oh, yeah. No, this guy's toast. And uh, uh, th this was fantastic. I think this was, uh, I think this was CNN. You're going to love this. So CNN, I think it's CNN. I'll, we'll know in a second. There's a journalist who escaped, a Syrian journalist from that television station that got blowed up, the state television station. Right. Now, he's no, going... No, actually, it wasn't. It was an independent television station that was promoting state uh, issues. Right. Correct. So you're going to hear this uh, journalist, 
explain to you how horribly corrupt the media is in Syria. Now, the fun, the, the fun exercise here is whenever he says Syria, just think America. Whenever he says Assad, think CIA or Bush or Obama or fill in the blank or Tony Blair or Cameron. This is how it works. He's actually explaining how it works. But of course, we're led to believe this only happened in Syria. Great little uh, opening music. Syria's Al-Akbariya network portrays a reasonably straightforward world. I think it's maybe it's a BBC report, actually. A brave government leads the fight against foreign-led terrorists. Every day, the channel broadcasts the same message. Hatan Sleba reveals how it's done. He used to be one of the network's reporters. And last week, he defected and escaped. He defected. <laughs> Great word, by the way. Defected. To Turkey. To Turkey. We talk to people before we interview them. Ooh, we did a pre-interview. Syrian citizens don't know anything. They don't know what to say. So we tell them what to say on TV to get the best report that we need. <laughs> As a journalist, my success is in getting the report to the channel. I do the reporting and I present it to the citizens, to the nation. For example, we tell the interviewees to say to us that they support Bashar al-Assad and that they will always support him. And they accept this and they say whatever I tell them. We do this to please the authorities who watch us. <laughs> does, does this sound familiar this at all? exactly what we do. Exactly. <laughs> at the channel... Who gives the instructions about what you can say and what you can't say? The Ba'ath Party sometimes appoints a representative to give orders on their behalf. As a PR uh, company. The they PI, generally the contact... Same as us using a PR agency. Yeah. They, we had the PR person with the CEO even, yeah. or, you yeah. know, depending on what part yeah. of the media you're exactly. with. And exactly. they won't let the guy say anything other than what they allow him to say. Exactly. Through an information office where our orders come from. The committee tells us to go and film this particular event, to take pictures of the martyred and so on. Right. Yes. Did you broadcast anything that you knew was false? We produce the news according to what the channel's managers want. If I produce a report that echoes their opinion, then I get a bonus. But if it's based on my opinion, without representing their view, it won't get on air. <laughs> For example, Syria's energy minister says there is plenty of petrol available, but in reality there aren't enough supplies in the country. Uh -huh. We journalists are liars to the nation. The people can't trust us. And this situation is frustrating. <laughs> the guy who is the BBC, I'm sorry. The guy who's doing this interview must be thinking, crap, man. Sounds familiar. We're li liars to hey. the nation. Hey. Clip of the day. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you're so kind. Well, hold on a second. That's, uh, wow, well, I'll, I'll take it. You know. Hold on a second. Clip of the day. We are liars to the nation. <laughs> How awesome wow. is that? How awesome. This is, this is like 26 seconds. Maybe I'll just... play it. Play oh, the whole thing yeah. again. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> you realize Qatar and Saudi Arabia are really financing and pouring arms into Syria. Uh, if you stand so, you know, so principally against the influx of arms into Syria, can't you lean on your allies to stop doing so? Said, we've talked about this many, many times here today. We've made our decision. Other countries. Oh, sorry, I'm completely in the wrong clip. <laughs> Where am I? Wow, they have got out just in time. Right there. On the same day that he arrived in Turkey, 
Gunmen raided one of the channel's offices near Damascus. They destroyed its studios and killed seven staff members. Because they were made to lie. Well, now they kind of... This is an interesting... To talk about mis misleading uh, the public it was a known fact because it was taken credit for that that the, that that uh, tv station was raided and and blowed up by the uh, rebels yeah so now they're trying to imply that it was the the government that did because of this guy defecting give me a break i just thought it was hilarious how he's actually telling us how the news works oh no that's the best part because yeah. that's exactly the way it works everywhere and uh, and we know except because on it- this show by the way We've uh, we've been in the media, so we, oh, this morning I didn't I didn't have a chance to clip it. I saw um, on CNN. Who's our friend? I used to be on the Tech TV CNET. What's her name? The, on CNN, the black girl. Come on, come on, come on. Soledad, Soledad O'Brien. Oh, Soledad. No, she was never. She was on uh, something MSNBC. Else. She was never on Tech TV. No, but she did techie stuff, didn't she? Mm-mm. Didn't she do this? She ran something called the site, but it wasn't. It was kind of. She was uh, just a kind of. A I know. Her. Light. I've, I've worked with her. Light. I've worked. With her, I met her. I've talked to her. I've had ch- chatted with her for. I didn't work with her except maybe two or three times, but I've had enough conversation. She's one of the sweetest people. She's I've ever very, met. she's very sweet. She's super cute, and she's really trying to make her mark during the summer uh, weeks on CNN because she gets to fill in for Anderson. Well, she was put on the fast track to become an M- an NBC heavy duty. Yeah, something went you know, wrong. National. Something, yeah, something so went they, wrong. They, they were training her on MSNBC when it was a, more of a tech channel. Yeah. And then uh, somewhere along the lines, she got bumped by some other, you know, uh, multi-culty looking woman uh, who then disappeared. And she got fed up and left. So uh, this morning, just before the top of the hour, they come back from a break and there's four people at the table. And this is a news show. And uh, and she says, well, we've got to interesting news. Uh, Taco Bell is now uh, doing healthy food, gourmet food at Taco Bell. And they've all got their uh, they've all got a plate of healthy Taco Bell food in front of them. <laughs> they're, they're, and literally they're like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. And it's healthy, too. And it's like. I mean, at least give me the pleasure of putting like a little th- a little bug in the bottom saying this is an ad. Yeah. It was just it was a complete advertisement. And they had yeah. even the desk lit up with like the new slogan, you know, the Cantina Bell menu, whatever it is, with Chef Lorena Garcia. It was d- so unbelievable. That, yeah, that'd been a funny clip. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Well, it's maybe, on CNN, right? Yeah, it'll show up somewhere. I mean, it was just so corrupt. I was just like, wow. You know, how can you do that? So anyway, the clip that I misfired here uh, was uh, so we had two State Department press conferences, July second and July third, uh, which were posted very late, and I got them this morning amidst all of my Adobe Flash blow up, and uh, just hilarious how how open it is now. Um, if you, you know, we're trying to follow Syria and give you some real insight and some real information. And so what's happening now is this, the Saudis, Saudi Arabia, they are sending weapons and guns and, uh, and probably troops and Al Qaeda or whatever, uh, into Syria. And of course, Turkey's going to get all the blame for it, but the Saudis are doing it. And so this is just being discussed completely openly in the State Department press, press briefings as if it's the most normal thing in the world and everybody knows it. Oh, uh, quickly. Yeah. Qatar and Saudi Arabia are really financing and pouring arms into Syria. Uh, if you stand so, you know, so principally against the influx of arms into Syria, can't you lean on your allies to stop doing so? 
Saeed, we've talked about this many, many times here today. We've made our decision. Other countries are making other decisions. Our goal now is to try to stay coordinated on all of these issues having to do with the opposition. Yeah. So and we all know it. We all know Saudi Arabia sending weapons and money and everything. Uh, that's their business. It's not like they do whatever we tell them to do. It's not like we have any relationship with the Saudis or anything. And she's just like, you know, hey, that's what they do. We do this, you know. This is the most not normal thing in the world. We do this, they do that, and yeah, that's that. Yeah, whatever, you know, it's, it's all good. So the Friends of Syria... <laughs> it's all good. They are meeting, the Friends of Syria are meeting uh, in Paris, <clears throat> chosen by uh, Lucifer Hillary Clippity-Clop Clinton, um, so that she can get her hair done. And uh, I've been trying to figure out who's at the table there. And one of the parties is uh, GTZ. And the GTZ is the Deutsche Gesellschaft für Internationale Zusammenarbeit. Uh, this is the, this, when, um, when East and West Germany, or when East Germany re, was that re, the, we had the reunification. Right. Uh, this, is a, this is a mega, mega corporation, which was many companies rolled into one. They have a huge, huge building, I think, in, in Berlin. Uh, and if you watch the movie, uh, which I've mentioned before, Katastroika, you'll see that these guys is a whole like 15 minutes on them. These guys are at the table. They're in the working group. And uh, so the, we, in America, we call them the G- GTZ is their uh, acronym. And they are already divvying up all of the assets of Syria. That's what the meeting is about. And I got this this huge article, which I can't even get through. But... Um, you can look at it in the show notes, 423.nashownotes.com. These guys are already, I mean, the whole meeting is not about what are we going to do. It's like, who gets what? That's, how, that's what this whole working group is about. Yeah. Obviously. This is the kind of thing that started World War One. Well, there you go. You know. I mean, they like to do these meetings. They do this, you know, this uh, certain, you know, elite uh, layer. Uh, you know, they put these meetings together, and that's exactly what they do. They divvy things up. It's just like Iraq. Now, I mean, they, when they, Africa was, uh, when they started drawing, actually, I think Africa and the Middle East, when they started drawing uh, boundary lines, that this country will be this, end here, and it'll, the other country will start there. They, it's all done like this. You know, where's where's the border between you know one African country and another? It's determined by one of these meetings by these Europeans. <clears throat> so, at least we're in the meeting. <laughs> we're, we're definitely in the meeting. I'm sure that they resent that. By the way, what? Yeah, we're in the meeting. Who the Europeans? Who resents it? The Europeans, they don't like us being in these meetings. They really, I mean, you know, Hillary's pushed herself into the top of the of the heap, and it's like God has to annoy these guys. Well, there's so much happening. Uh, there's so many. There's so much jockeying for position. Um, um, Donald Rumsfeld was in Georgia last week. Why? <laughs> well, because. You know, we need to bring the uh, the gas pipelines through Georgia. Remember, Lucifer was there uh, like two or three weeks ago, and uh, no, he's a he's he's a pitchman now. He's a pitchman for whatever you know, whatever pipeline or security for the pipelines or whatever it is. 
And uh, so and, and who else shows up? Haiku Herman shows up in Georgia. They're all they're all they're all going to Georgia to, you know, ensure that uh, that the guy's on board because, you know, the guy is, is insane. He eats his tie. He's like he's, he's clinically insane. Uh, Sakasvili. So they got to keep their eye on him and make sure that everything's OK, because, you know, he's not a member of NATO yet. And that's what he wants. So they keep dangling the carrot in front of him. But they need to bring that pipeline through. So then, you know, we can screw the Russians. And that's why we we're still there. You know, we got to bypass all the Russians and get it straight from uh, uh, Turkmenistan. I'm sorry, Azerbaijan from so Boku, uh, Azerbaijan, uh, right through uh, um, uh, Georgia and then uh, across the water there and then pipe it through Turkey. I mean, just look at the players. Just look at the players. And then, you know, Russia is still like, oh, man, we're losing our Syria deal. You know, they're trying to work it out with Israel so they can go through Cyprus. It's a big race. The big race is on. Yeah, there's some arms deals involved in this, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And guess what? We're not involved in any of them. No, in fact, it's not even being reported to the public, this this whole thing with the Rumsfeld in Georgia. Uh, I mean, I've been noticing uh, the less and less weird stuff is being reported to the public. I had I got this. Well, hold on a second, John. You're telling me that it's not valuable to know that Taco Bell is now serving gourmet food. <laughs> well, I'm going to see if I can find a clip Bell of that. People. I guess that Doritos thing is crapping out. I'm going to see if I can find the clip of that. <laughs> you definitely have to get that clip. Chat room, help me out here. Hook a brother. I mean, there's up. a number of things that the American Americans never find out about. One, and somebody pointed. I think it was Jace uh, Buzzkill Jr. that pointed out that there's like an edict about. <laughs> About Jew, anything about Israel, internal or anything about Israel is not to be reported by anybody for whatever reason. But, of course, other media outlets, international ones, have no problem. And the biggest scandal going on right now is the uh, is the, they want to – there's a group of – when you go to Israel, you see these people all over the place. They're ultra-Orthodox Jews. Right. They got all the strings hanging down. They got this. They got that. And they wear the black and, and the they hat. got a crazy hat. No, I like they, the hat. The hat, I think, is badass. It's like a. a that is weird. You could refold that to a pimp hat. I like those hats. And by but the way, but, a lot of yeah. Jewish people don't like the Orthodox Jews. No, most of nuts. them don't. And yeah. the Israelis really don't like them. Many of them come from a couple of Brooklyn cults and they're all over Israel. And the thing about them is the. Uh, they're kind of warmongers, but they refuse to take part in the military because it's beneath them. And there, I have a report that you'll never hear in American news that's uh, that right here. The army, we are hurting the, this principle of separation. The problem is that the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community has grown over the decades from just a handful. Now tens of thousands are exempt from what should be compulsory military service in Israel. Many Israelis are resentful of the fact that ultra-Orthodox Jews live off government stipends. Full-time religious studies mean few are employed in the standard labor market. There is a growing narrative here about how the rest of the country is footing the bill for this one community. I think that every Israeli citizen should have individual rights and individual responsibilities. And they should be drafted as individuals, and they should serve, and they should serve honorably. There's no doubt that the ultra-Orthodox should serve in the army. There's no reason why my 18-year-old friend should be protecting them at checkpoints whilst they're just sitting at home. 
It's become the top political issue, more so than others because criticism of the ultra-Orthodox community is part of a perpetual debate about the character of Israel, how secular it should be, or how Jewish. Any decision by the government to put these men into the military would disrupt their personal quests, they say, for spiritual growth and reflection. Have you heard about this? No, of course not. <laughs> it's like the number one topic? No. Like, what? Okay, whatever. No, no, so, no, Joe. Uh, while no, you, no, while you're, do you have something to say about this? No, I've no, no, I've always, I knew this was going to come to a head someday because they keep flocking over there, and it's just like um, it just bu- bugs because I know Israelis, and they just hate these people, and then they moan about. It. I was taken through uh, one of their communities by some one of these ultra orthodox haters, and he says these people live like they live like pigs. <laughs> he says <laughs> and he takes me to this to this neighborhood. Yeah, all the garbage is outside. There's dogs barking at everything. It's really like being in the worst kind of slum in, uh, you know, like a, a favela in Brazil. It's terrible. <laughs> wow. Now, while you were wasting your time trying to find some actual news, uh, here's what, what the chat you, room what found. Fundamentally, what do you think people are going to be looking for in what you're offering versus what they can yeah, get to today? Me, to me, yeah, listen, I'm putting my name, I'm putting my face, I'm putting my reputation on the line for this menu. So I'm bringing that choice. I'm bringing that difference. I'm bringing the focus that you're going to be able to have the first bite and you're going to be able to go for more. So specifically what? So instead of what I have here, yes, which looks so like I brought, I brought, You know, I was raised on my rice bowl, you know. I, 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 I love cilantro. Everybody knows that. So I wanted to have that as a, as a common thread throughout my menu. I, I bring the black beans that I was raised on black beans and rice. You're going to be able to, to have this wonderful grilled chicken that is made with this wonderful marinade. They're all my recipes. Uh, you have the grilled corn. <laughs> this is CNN promoting the gourmet menu. It's, and it's here it is. The, it, this is from Starting Point. That's the name I of the like show. I like the wonderful marinade. She uses an adjective to describe everything. <laughs> Wait, well, let's listen to some more because Taco Bell goes. This is Chef Lorena Garcia. I bread some vegetables and the sweetness of the corn. They got a sauce. I have a cilantro sauce that is cilantro. delicious coming on, on top. You look yes. heavy on the cilantro. Yeah, I got so heavy on the cilantro. <laughs> I'm very visual, so you want to be able to see it. I say Taco Bell, I like to see my food. And, and, so why don't and we. And this isn't the report that I even saw this morning. This is a whole different report. So they're doing it over and over again. Oh, did you didn't have the Mexican chef? No, she's uh, is she Mexican? Yeah, I guess so, Garcia. I hope so. <laughs> you know, now she's got the biggest, one of the better fake accents. Just keep it open. She's Taco Bell is known for having a very economic menu. A yes. dollar, two dollars. Yours are going to cost a little bit more. Yes. But one thing that people don't know is, many people don't know, is that in Taco Bell you can actually get your money back if you're unsatisfied. And they're oh, offering it's, that. It's, they, they have can, a money back guarantee, but wait, there's more. Wow. That's, wow. What, that's what your news is doing, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Thorne, in the chat room for finding that one. I wish you could find the other one. Oh, they're doing it over and over. No, because this is product placement, plain and simple. You think? And 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 host endorsement. Yeah, ho- yeah. The the whole panel is there, and so yeah, they're like, all endorsing it. This yeah. is this is a disgusting uh, uh, episode in the in the history of broadcasting. Well, the good news is no one saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. Interesting news out of Chicago. Uh, now, of course, run by Rahm Emanuel, the uh, bathhouse buddy of our president. The Chicago chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations, we've spoken about this before, CARE, 
issued a press release announcing that Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, President Obama's former chief of staff, has announced an Office of New Americans Advisory Committee that includes the executive the, uh, the executive director of CARE in Chicago, Ahmed Rehab. Really? Yeah. That took a lot of guts. Now, CARE, for those of you who don't know, is, is noted as one of the, quote, unindicted defendants of the Holy Land Foundation trial, um, which pretty much puts CARE as a front for terrorism. Yeah, it is. It's totally a front. And uh, this, of course, is the Muslim Brotherhood. And it's, uh, here it is, the committee's goal that he is now going to be an advisor to is to generate recommendations, develop strategies, and present an overall vision to promote the city's economic vitality and ensure global competitiveness by coming the most in immigrant friendly city in the world. All you terrorists out there, Chicago <laughs> welcomes you. <laughs> but it being Chicago, I mean, what can we tie into this? How am I supposed to train? How, I mean, my brain is hurting from this. I, I, don't, I don't know. We have wait, to, this has to be I mean, this is, this Something is, else is going on. Well, this is the, we, we know the Obama administration loves the Muslim Brotherhood. But, you know, to put them in charge of uh, reshaping the city of Chicago, a little brazen. Yeah. Yeah. You think someone might notice. No, apparently not. Apparently the media hasn't picked it up. And by the way, you know, this Saturday, I don't have a clip about this, but this Saturday it are the uh, Libyan elections. Oh, yeah, that'll be great. And so they expect, because <laughs> they have the same slate of thousands of candidates, but they, uh, it's, it's debatable whether or not they're going to slip in some uh, Muslim Brotherhood style, some Islamists, some Salafists or something. Oh, no, of course they of will. Of course. That's, that's, the whole, that's the whole idea. We got Egypt. We got... Uh, we're going to have Libya, and uh, eventually we're going to have that in Syria. Yeah, that, that's the whole idea here. Uh, mentioning elections, you know, we had uh, a big election south of the border, and uh, we have a, uh, a new perhaps president-elect in Mexico, although that's being disputed. There's all kinds of voting fraud going on. And uh, but very quickly, uh, the United States came out and said, "Congratulations!" The president's like, "Hey, congratulations, new president." A good-looking man, by yeah. the way. Yeah, he's, he's a handsome fellow. And uh, so this came up in uh, the July second State Department briefing, and the question was, "How come uh, you're so quick to congratulate uh, this guy when you know it's not really?" been proven yet that he you know there's a little investigation going on you know is it's he's not really the president elect yet officially the answer is just too beautiful to be true tangentially related to uh, mexico which is just um why why are you so quick to um congratulate uh, the president elect on partial results when you refuse to do that for do you hear what he said you you refuse to do that for someone for putin for putin Oh, for Putin. <laughs> Which is a great question. Uh, it's a great, come on, that's a great question. That's that same guy who that's answers Matt. all these poignant, or asks all the poignant questions. That's Matt, that yeah. That is? That's Matt, yeah. Matt yeah, kicks Matt. ass. Here we go. Uh, well, we have, uh, we have good confidence in these preliminary results and in the integrity. In the results, uh, I mean, as I said, we have God, good confidence. election that had about as much suspense as a North Korean election. Yeah, well, we, you know, as you often point out, Matt, we're not always consistent. <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> Well, that was good. She admitted that. 
We're not always consistent. No, we're not always consistent. That's our government at work. Not always consistent. And it also tells us that Obama does not like Putin. And Putin does not. And we saw it. We if know you, that. Yeah. Wants to say, see any picture of the two of them together. And Putin is leaning. Yeah. He's going to fall out of his chair leaning away from Obama. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little he obvious. He really does not like Obama at all. No, it's quite obvious what's going on there. And he got along fine with Bush. <laughs> he used to hang out at the ranch, shoot things. <laughs> yeah, there's some good pictures of them. Hey, George. Let's go shoot some things. <laughs> well, talking about news again that uh before we get into our donation segment which is going to be short, short. yeah um uh, you know about the mystery disease sweeping cambodia mystery disease sweeping See, cambodia. this is another example See, i've changed all my news the watching habits so you it's have really you have changed this is your another diet unreported story by the way when it crops up <laughs> when it finally shows up in this u.s of a it's going to be, you know, there'll be some vaccine. There'll be some scam involved. But right now, there's no scam involved. So it's just a, it's just a story. And listen to it. And now, word of a deadly illness has only increased the daily lines of those seeking medical help. Outside this hospital in Phnom Penh, thousands wait to see a doctor. I'm so worried about this mysterious sickness. I only want my child to get better. Just what is killing Cambodia's children remains unknown. Doctors have recorded the same path of symptoms. First a fever, often swelling in the brain, and then the sudden destruction of a child's lungs. Wow. All these cases were hospitalized here. Now totally 66 cases and 64 cases have died. Wow. Again, no unreported. This Again, is, our uh, news media is not is not of interest. It's just that apparently kids, and there are between the ages of one and three, they're little kids, are ca- catching this thing left and right, uh, and nobody can identify it. They have not been able to f- find out what it is that's causing it. There's just complete mystery to everyone so far. High acceptance and uptake of Gardasil preventative vaccine in uh, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I'd, I'd, uh, that's where I'm looking. Well, it's possible. That's where I go. Uh, but these are young kids, right? So maybe. Yeah, they're one to two, two year olds, basically. So let's do uh, UN. This is how we do the research. Vaccinations Cambodia. Let's just see what they're shooting them up with. Um, <laughs> what are we shooting them up with there? H1N1 vaccines. Probably testing something. Probably testing some vaccine. That's what that's what I'd say. I'd say they're testing a vaccine. It's a possibility. Something I'm like not going to argue that it's not possible because yeah. we've seen this kind of thing before. And who you know, it's like who gives a shit? You know, the population is too high in these areas anyway. So <laughs> we, they die, so we, what? we ran out that's of African attitude. kids. No, we ran out of African kids to kill. Yeah, we. Yeah, they've gotten a clue. They won't take the vaccines anymore. I'm going to show my support by donating to No Agenda. Imagine all the people who could do that. Oh yeah, that'd be fab. Thank a few people for helping us out on show 423. And uh, we have 424 coming up, which is a uh, palindrome. Oh, that's right. It's the same forwards as backwards. Yeah, 424. Uh, 423 is not bad. It's got two, a three, and a four. It doesn't have a one. 
But we do have a one, $100 from Sir John Smith in St. Petersburg, Florida. Staying in my cabin in North Carolina, prepping for the zombie apocalypse. I think the reason people love zombie apocalypse shows isn't the zombies, but the freedom derived from the end of the world. We'd rather deal with the zombies than the government. <laughs> Both want their pound of flesh, but we can kill zombies. Well, yeah. Well. A little off the wall, but okay. Thanks, Sir John. <coughs> Brian Rogers in Newton, New Jersey, 7777. Joseph Gaz in Wilmington, Delaware, $76. A Joe and Gitmo Nation cheesesteak. I'm uh, betting donations are down. Yeah. iTunes sent the show late. Yeah, no, that we, that was... Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to send out a note to everybody who's on the mailing list. Uh, this week or the beginning of next week to explain what we're doing and why it happened and where the dangers are and how you can help. Fourth of July holiday in the U.S. and it's summer. Show number one. Uh, show number one would be an interesting return since you first talk about Ron Paul Karma. Shout out to Be Positive Foundation, providing financial and emotional emotional support to families of children with cancer and raising money for childhood cancer research. Fact: Our only four percent of all federal cancer research funding is dedicated to pediatric cancer research. Really? So give uh, them a karma. Karma, sure. You interesting. Karma. Yeah, didn't know that. Dave, yeah, typical. Dave Redderer, Evergreen, Colorado. Ah. Sixty-nine, sixty-nine. Greetings from beautiful Colorado, and congratulations to Adam and Mickey. Enjoy your with the misspelled. Enjoy your honeymoon. Have you ever thought about the greatest speech ever made as an end of show clip? This is a speech by Charlie Chaplin from The Great Dictator. It's true today as it was in nineteen forty. I don't need any karma, but I can get a Hayes Citizen Milf and an In the Morning, followed by a Huntsman for my beautiful wife Claire. Well, that's a little more complicated. Hayes Citizen yeah, Milf. Really? Hayes Citizen Milf, and then Huntsman. Uh, Hey, Citizen Milf in the morning? Jeez. You got four. Hey, Citizen Milf in the morning and then Huntsman. Okay. Hey, Citizen Milf. That's one mother I'd like to. In the morning. Tough sequence. Tough sequence. Tough sequence. That was good. That was one of your best. Adam Riedenauer in Kettering, Ohio, 6969. Congratulations, Dad and Mickey, and you take a shot at karma. You've got karma. And continuing the trend, uh, Karsten of Schwartzen something. I get my spreadsheets cuts them off. Karsten of Schwartz Nielsen. Well, Schwartz Nielsen in somewhere. I don't know what that is. Default. Yeah, Lang. Lang <laughs> default. I don't know. Default from default. And- Anyway, he's uh, 6969 As I get older, I truly enjoy and exercise the right to be a dirty old man. So I got to keep you on a roll with the 6969. <laughs> keep up this, your eternal struggle to expose the phony media and keep shaking the foundations of the Boners Guild so we can get them out of the closet. <laughs> Slide whistle's great, but don't forget the Dutch lessons. They're still hilarious. <laughs> and thanks for giving me enlightenment and a smile on my face. If I can get it, I'd like an in-the-morning citizen from Adam on the megaphone followed by some holiday karma. <laughs> okay. In the morning, citizen! Here's some holiday karma! Don't be afraid! Karma. Uh, Paul Simon in Toronto, Ontario, 6907. Sirs, it's Canada Day, and I'm getting drunk listening to my eighth episode and warming up to the idea of donating when Buzzkill starts to show off with a well-timed shout-out to Gizmo Poutine. Excuse me, I think we need a drunk Canadian for this. Hey, hey, 
Hey, it's Canada today. I'm getting drunk listening to my eighth episode of warming up to the idea of donating when Buzzkill starts to show off with a well-timed shout-out, eh, to Gitmo Poutine. No wonder that I reached for my loony bin when you two clowns blaming us for inventing geese and ripping us hosers for being douchebags. Well... We don't stand for it. We are hosers, not douchebags. Here's a protest donation. True say, it's not too soon because here I know all the jingles, but you give me no choice. Here's 69 bucks so I can get some fireworks tonight and seven more cents of the slide whistle homage. I'll take a Huntsman Karma because it's starting to annoy you guys a bit. And hopefully it'll get me a new gig so I tell off the only real douchebag up here, my boss. And let this be a lesson to you. Don't mess with Gitmo North. Or next time we'll put the beebs on your prime time. Oh, wait. We already did that. <laughs> You've got karma. It could be used a little work, but it was entertaining nonetheless. I can get my Canadian. If I get into my Canadian sound, I can get, I get better. Uh, David Atima in Hinton, Iowa, $58. My fiance and I are donating on behalf of my father for his birthday, July 5th. My brother... Introduced him to the show months ago and never donated, so would like to call Jonathan Atima a douchebag. Douchebag. You sure it's not Atima? Atima? Could be. Could be Atima. Could be Atima. I would like to de-douche Bernie Atima or Atima, and although he has never donated, he does propagate the formula every chance he gets. Give him 58 for his 58th birthday. I would like to give him obey, shut up, slave, two to the head. (laughs) God, man, really. Obey, shut up, slave, two to the head. And, and that's it? No karma? No, it's, well, it's, you know, he didn't want karma. He wants this. Give it to him. Okay. You will obey. obey, obey, obey. Shut up, slave. Anyway, they're in the process of starting a business, and it'll all be done. Probably become more regular donors. Happy birthday, Dad, from David and Rose. <laughs> Here's a two to the head. Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> nice. Pretty, nice. Somebody got two to the head. Anonymous in Texas, done somewhere around you, I suppose. Uh, I'm a Ron Paul supporter that is active in the Republican Party, and this could be used against me by the rhinos. I heard about this show from Twit and started listening in November. I'm a new donor. Need two shows per week. Sorry it took so long to donate. Fifty-seven seventy-seven. Uh, my wife was do- diagnosed with breast cancer in December, like a de-douching and a mill for her, Amy. And I keep the slide whistle. I saw a no agenda shirt at the Texas State Convention. Hey. Keep up the great work and do not change a thing. Uh, Don, Donodrontalist.com. <laughs> do not drone list.com. Oh, do not drone list. Oh, my God. <laughs> Donodrontalist. <laughs> Donodrontalist. I wish you could put that as the title of the show. Donodrontalist. Don- Don- Donna Drontalist with you. <laughs> this is our new code word in the morning. Donna Drontalist. Donna Drontalist. We'll eventually point to no agenda. You can sell subscriptions. Dedouching and MILF. And is there a karma in there? Donna Drontalist. All right. Dedouching and MILF. Here we go. You've been dedouched. That's one mother I'd like to. And I'm going to give her some fuck cancer karma. Just. You've got right. karma. Okay, here we go. Anonymous drunk gives us fifty-five, fifty-five. Hello, Johnny Adam. Please keep me anonymous because I'm donating drunk. I started listening to the best podcast in the universe after Adam's appearance on Twit, and this is my first donation. So I need a de douching. 
I'm a German living in Portugal, and it makes total sense to me that Portugal did not win the European Championship. Portuguese people never really complain about anything. As long as a coffee in a bar is cheaper than 70 cents and you can have a small beer for under a dollar 20 euros. <laughs> yeah, that is why it makes more sense to let the Spanish win as they tend to start occupying <laughs> public places when they are unsatisfied. As I have to return to Germany soon, I request getting laid karma to make the departure a little easier and distract me from the fact that as soon as I have to return to being a human resource working for Das Merkel. Please keep up the good work. You've got karma. Well, he's doing in Portugal. It's a great place to hang out. Yeah. Um, Actually, didn't he? He needed a de-douching too. I'm sorry. You've been oh, yes, de-douched. Uh, Seth Ralston in Worthington, Ohio, 5510. I've been a douchebag, spelled weirdly, for far too long. Two people I've hit in the mouth have donated. Now it's my turn. If you're, if, if you, if it's your will, bestow on me some house franchise, fi- refinance <laughs> karma. Good luck with that. We were expecting to close on Thursday, but due to some paperwork issues, it's not looking good because it's a scam. He thinks they want a blood sample. All right. Well, here's some refi, refi karma. We hope it works You've for got- you. Karma. Let us know if that actually worked. Yeah, because it doesn't seem to want to. Because there's no refinancing really available. Robert Gold in Toronto, Ontario, 5510. Double Nickels on the Diamond. A church karma shout out to Christina Fabiani for transferring her $110.43 worth of donations to my Almost a Nightclub fund. With her help in today's donation, I'm close to topping off many years worth of donations, and I'll be a night before the iPhone 5 comes out. (laughs) Finneman, Stu, and Dara will help me find some good trinkets and trash for you in the morning at Comic-Con. Christina. Mm. That's just Christina. Yeah. You've got karma. Well, she came in on Robert's account. Right, right. Got it. Uh, Yeah, Christina, get us something cool. Uh, Keith Miller, Canton, Ohio Double nickels on the dime I'm not drunk, but dr- JCD's drunk voice always makes me laugh I'm donating on behalf of my little brother Kyle Miller's 28th birthday on July 5th I got, I got him listening years ago And he probably loves the best podcast in the universe More than I do Oh, We both have painfully long commutes And would be lost without the show Thanks for all the news and entertainment My brother would love a birthday shot I would got him yep. on the list it's On the list yeah, Richard Terry, Houston, Texas, down uh, down in old Houston. 5268 is my last month employment. Please give me some karma for the new job and a new place to live. You've got karma. Hans Petterfeld in Oslo, $50. Greetings from Oslo, Norway. Have a good marriage. John and Adam. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I love you guys. Thanks for the show. Shout out to the hackery. All right. <laughs> What's the hackery? It's probably some restaurant. Forget the hackery. What's up with us getting married? It's news to me. Confusing. Eon Larson, Auckland, 50 bucks. Uh, First, I don't drink and don't do bath salts or weed, so I can't get John to do a funny voice, which is value in itself. I know you get a lot of emails and probably won't have time to deal with this one on the show, but I've listened faithfully to the show since episode 183 and was an executive producer of show 333. I'm planning to contribute next month as a birthday present for myself and a wedding celebration for Adam and Ms. Mickey. Uh. But in line with my policy of only offering production input with production contribution, I offer the following along with the $50 contribution. Please remember that the EU monetary crisis is not being kind to the exchange rates for the Gitmo Nation Kiwi, so it cost me near on $64. Recently, I've felt quite strongly about two things Adam has mentioned and wanted to get them off my chest. One, 
Adam's recent concerns about the use of the word homophobic raised the question. There is really no such word in relation to irrational fear of homosexuality. Using the definition below, the word homophobic would refer to an irrational fear of things that are the same. In other words, homogenous. Hmm. Okay. Well, he so, says it should be gay phobic. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're you're splitting hairs. Well, you're splitting. The, it's, it's a commonality usage. It's not. It's really more idiomatic than it is uh, accurate. Oh, thank so, you. You're, I love it when you. That's sexy when you talk like that. Idiomatic. Just say that to me. Idiomatic. It's idiomatic. Adam Kolb, Sir Adam Kolb, or Colby. In Menasho, Wisconsin, 50 bucks. Alan Bean, Sir Alan Bean in Oakland, California, $50. He says great stuff, great show. Nicholas Wallace in Nashville, Tennessee, $50. Last donation I sent to my place came up was Toledo, Ohio. <clears throat> I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, need some job karma, please, and keep up the great work and the best podcast in the universe. You've got karma. Uh, last few here, Michael Peters in Ashford, Connecticut. 50 bucks. I've been listening uh, since day one. It's my second donation, but I haven't been listening lately because it makes me frustrated. I lead a little more inspiring or comedic stuff to offset my doom. (laughs) Anyway, uh, good job, guys. Hey, come on, man. We we played Taco Bell, hidden commercials. Come on. We got all kinds of good stuff in here. We're hilarious. So uh, we are. Andrew Haverson in Gravenhurst, Ontario, $50 in and Sir Borislav Marinoff, hey. Iso Viejo, California buddy, uh, sent some good health karma to my wife and newborn human resources. Not a lot, but I hope this can help during the week season. Yeah, we always appreciate Sir Borislav. You've got karma. Awesome. And then, of course, Philip Meeson in Welshpool, Pows, UK, uh, $50. And um, that'll be our donor segment for this uh, show, 423. Remind people to go to Dvorak.org slash NA and help us boost the numbers for Sunday if you can. Well, uh, we, 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 have, we have two problems. Uh, number one, so we're leaving on Monday. We come back. We have exactly one week before the kickoff of the Hot Pockets 2009 tour, which is in peril right now. I do not have a trailer. No one has come forward. I mean, in all of the state of Texas, all the people that listen to the show... There's no trailer. So, I mean, we're planning to go on this trip. We've got, you know, we've got producers ready and everything. There's no trailer. I can't even rent a trailer because these donations, you know, we're in July. Everything sucks in July. We're about to take two shows off after Sunday. Well, no, they're going to they're gonna be a show. Yeah, I but explained it's, in but, the email. We got but a no donation show segments. Of- we won't be able to remind people. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah then there's that. Yeah, out. then there's the drop-off. You know, this is serious crap. Yeah, and we do. And I want people to listen to those two upcoming shows because the show 200.6 should be quite entertaining. I do want to mention Kyle Kinzel, who is a, I think he's a monthly donor. I'd like some border-crossing karma for my family and I as we head back to the U.S. from our fishing trip up in Canada. Would be greatly appreciated. Well, we'll yeah, you're going to need it. No kidding. You've got karma. Well, anyway, so light. And, you know, if you could help us out, uh, a trailer or uh, a lot more uh, on the donations on the upper end, uh, we have to rent one. I mean, I don't know. Otherwise, what are we going to do? We're just going to throw everything in the pickup truck and just dry in where we're going to sleep. Hotels. Where, where, where am I going to do the show? Hotels? Motels. Uh, 
Keep it down. Keep it low, low end. Thank you, Bill Hertha, for being our executive producer on today's program. 423 with your 423 donation. And uh, Sir Anonymous with $200 for your uh, associate executive producership and everyone else. And, of course, our uh, monthly donors who come in at 5 11 11 12 dollars uh, and 12 cents uh, we'd love to get another 12 12 night before things uh, fizzle out and uh, we still have some 30 a month uh, donors so we really do appreciate that and slash n a david adama or atima uh, congratulates his dad uh, Celebrating today, July the 5th And Keith Miller congratulates his brother Kyle Miller Who likes this show more than he does Turns 28 today as well Happy birthday from all your friends here at the No Agenda Program it's birthday, yeah. And uh, we have uh, Dave uh, Bill Hertha coming in as a, uh, a knight today So uh, um, well, let's do the uh, hello There it comes yeah. Gotta do the official ceremony Bill Hertha, come on forward, my friend, and kneel down and make sure you email your ring size to rings at noagendanation.com. That will ensure that you get one before the entire ring program stops at the end of the year. We hereby pronounce thee and quite proudly, Sir Bill, Knight of the No Agenda Roundtable. For you, my friend over here, we've got your hookers and blow, your rent boys and chardonnay, you've got your hot pants and booze, and anything else you'd like, as long as it's down and dirty, you get that as a Knight of the No Agenda Roundtable. Remember, responsibilities do come with your knighthood. You have to. And uh, do we thank our artist? I don't remember. Oh, you're right. I, I'm sorry. My faux pas. Uh, we need to thank uh, Nick the Rat for uh, last episode's artwork. Check out all of the art that the artists submit at uh, uh, noagendaartgenerator.com. It's uh, always very hard for us to choose, and uh, we appreciate all the submissions we get. And I want to also thank Shana who goes by the name's Pepper's Mama, who I send, I always send the newsletter to immediately because she spots the egregious typos yeah. that the spell checker really? misses. And then, of yeah. course, once in a while, the spell checker yeah, great job. puts an E in the word Mickey. Yeah, great job there. Yeah, great. Great. Great, great. Hey, and I would just, you know, we had that New Zealand donor. I wanted to, have you seen, have you seen what .com is up to? Uh, yeah. The last I read is that they're blaming Joe Biden for this. Yeah, dot com has a bunch of pictures of Joe Biden, I guess, doing lip kisses to people from the M- uh, MPAA and the <laughs> RIAA. And I guess there was a he documented a massive meeting that took place with the White House and the, and the Hollywood interest the day before they. Oh, really? Said, <laughs> yeah. And he <laughs> says that Obama. Yeah, he. he believes that this whole incident that took place, which was completely turns out to be illegal in New Zealand, the whole thing was a, um, a quid pro quo to Hollywood by the Obama administration to get them to donate more. Well, this is a good strategy that we should be using. If you don't donate, we're going to arrest you. <laughs> I like it. Well, those guys are smart. Yeah, well, they're on the ball. Well, I mean, Obama's guys have nothing else... They know how to run a campaign. So let me think. Do you think that the Hollywood media will report a lot on this story? Or uh, do you think that they'll decide well, not to? Well, it hasn't been reported on by anybody except uh, us. Where did you read it? I read it somewhere. I don't know where. It's on his it. blog. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, well, it's clear, John, you and I are obviously suffering from IED. Which is uh, I- improvised electronic 
disability? I don't know. Uh, no, IED, of course, uh, we know, and it's... Car- improvised explosive device. Yes, carefully chosen for the same acronym as an improvised explosive device, but no. A uh, big study came out, big study, big, big study. 5% of all kids suffer from IED. An even larger percentage of adolescents suffer from uh, I- can IED. Can I guess what it means? Yeah. Uh, improvised explosive diarrhea. <laughs> You're not far off the mark. Intermittent explosive disorder. Yes, this is a part of DSM, the uh, Bible for uh, for uh, mental illness. Does this have anything to do with spontaneous human combustion? <laughs> no, I know you've been tracking that, but no. Oh, yeah. That's my only crackpot uh, item. Around the age of 12 or earlier, many kids, over 5% of all uh Oh, just over 5% of all adolescents between the ages of 13 and 17, according to a new study, report they have suffered attacks of anger or are destructive, frightening, and wildly out of proportion to any provocation. This is known as IED, Intermittent Explosive Disorder. Wow. And, and it now it can so be... So if you get mad now... No, no, I have... Well, John, we have to make sure. Let's just see. Have you or any member of your family oh, suffered the from the following... Yes, a quiz. Suffered from the so- following symptoms. Uh, there's, it's a very short quiz, and uh, the way this is diagnosed is your doctor will sit down and speak with you and ask you these questions. If you can answer yes to any of them, then you can be diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder. Uh, question number one. Have you had several discrete episodes of failure to resist aggressive impulses that result in serious assaultive acts or destruction of property? Yes, of course. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Shoot me. (laughs) You already have it. Two, have you um, ever experienced the degree of aggressiveness expressed during these episodes to be grossly out of proportion to any precipitating psychological stressors? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and C, uh, the aggressive episodes, are they uh, not better accounted for by a different mental disorder? <laughs> <laughs> well, that we don't know. That's a hard question to answer. It's okay, because there's good news. Uh, you can be treated for this. Oh. Yes, treatments, according to the Mayo Clinic. Uh, that's a shocker. Now, there is no one single treatment that's best for everyone with intermittent explosive disorder. Treatment generally includes medication, and individual or group therapy. Many different types of drugs are used to help control intermittent oh, explosive course. disorder. I knew Let's it. Let's see. We have uh, antidepressants such as fluoxetine, which would be Prozac, and paroxetine, which is Paxil, so you can take those, or anticonvulsants. <laughs> anticonvulsants? It's like that stops you from going into convulsions, uh, which would be Tegretol, <laughs> Or delanitin, or neurotonin, or lamacitol. Wow, I've never how, heard of these. These sound great. How about warm milk? <laughs> well, no, you can also try uh, anti-anxiety agents from the benzodiazepine family, such as Valium, Ooh. Ativan, or Ooh. Xanax. And you could also try, John, mood regulators such as lithium. <laughs> Ah, yes. So we're good to go. I think we should get diagnosed on this and get us some cool-ass drugs. So meanwhile, of course, you mentioned Paxil and some of these other drugs. Uh, oh, we might Dr. Drew? Well be aware of the fact, and we have the clip, 
a drug company was busted for a few bucks. Oh, really? Hold on a second. Where's your clip? Where's your... Oh, here it is. Yes. Hmm, this was an interesting one. Pharmaceutical giant GlaxoSmithKline is to pay the equivalent of 2.3 billion euros in the largest healthcare fraud settlement in U.S. history. Pending court approval, the agreement should resolve allegations that the British drug maker broke U.S. laws in the marketing and development of three of its major drugs. Washington claims the size of the settlement is unprecedented. Healthcare fraud is an epidemic that touches every aspect of our lives. And yet, for far too long, we've heard that the pharmaceutical industry views these settlements as merely the cost of doing business. That's why this administration is committed to using every available tool to defeat health care fraud. The company has already admitted promoting two drugs for unapproved usage, while in the case of a third, its diabetes drug, Avandia, it failed to reveal health risks. Anywhere between 50 and 100,000 diabetics uh, had unnecessary, unneeded heart attacks, uh, or death due to the drug of Andia. This drug hurt a lot of people. GSK is also to be monitored for five years after being found guilty of paying kickbacks to doctors. The company's current CEO said the misconduct originated in a different era and would not be tolerated today. Oh, yeah, right. Don't that wasn't my fault. That wasn't on my watch. Well, the best part of the news, of course, about this uh, case is that it turns out that uh, Dr. Drew, who uh, I have called out as a shill for the pharmaceutical industry for... We caught it early. Oh, we caught him on so many occasions. uh, Was paid $275,000 for two days of work uh, to deliver, quote, messages about Wellbutrin SR in settings where it did not appear that Dr. Pinsky was speaking for GlaxoSmithKline. That's what his contract states. Uh, I oh, believe- wait a minute! Didn't the CEO just said this is this is a bygone era? This sort of corruption? Didn't he just say? That? I heard that. I heard that. I think uh, Dr. Drew should be fired from CNN, and uh, he should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for being a shill. And the funny thing is, he would uh, the the situation in which uh, he brought this up was apparently one of the side effects of. Um, uh, what was the drug he was pimping? Well, bu- whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. Butrin is well. Butrin. Uh, and I looked for the clip. I couldn't find it. Uh, apparently, one of his patients was you know on the show talking about how she had sixty orgasms in a row. That's one of the side effects, and he's like, "Yeah, that's actually quite. Uh, that's uh, some people enjoy that." <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine having 60 orgasms I'm, in a I'm row? more of this. Can I get another pill? <laughs> oh, my God. I'd be so tired. I, I can't do the show, man. During the 15-minute segment, Dr. Pinsky communicated key campaign messages. The spot is almost a textbook for the way drug companies have used speakers to promote medicines. Everything Pinsky says is reasonable. Anecdotally, Wellbutrin does not seem to have few does seem to have few sexual side effects, but Pinsky's comments had the effect of giving airtime to a use of a medicine that Glaxo was not supposed to promote. Wasn't it that exactly what they said in this lawsuit that they were doing and then they were corrupting doctors? And yeah. didn't the CEO come out and say that was a bygone error? We don't tolerate that anymore. And here it is right now in front of us. Dr. Drew wasn't. Or, or am I missing something? <laughs> Dr. Drew wasn't alone. He was one of a long list of experts listed in the complaint that the government says were paid by Glaxo as part of its promotional efforts. 
Requests for commitment were sent to a manager for Pinsky, a publicist who had represented him, and through his HLN website, but were not immediately returned. Uh, Dr. Drew should be fired. He should be disbarred or dis, 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 is, is, disemboweled. Dis, <laughs> disemboweled. Uh, they should take his medical license away from him. He should never be allowed to show up as an expert anymore. And, uh, and Sanjay Gupta, here, yo, bitch, I got my eyes on you. You're next. You will show up next. Because it doesn't matter. These people, whether they, they'll promote Taco Bell, they'll promote Glaxo. And they'll cover it as news and whatever. Great stuff. Yeah, and then people watch this crap. Let me see if Glaxo, uh, blah, blah, Glaxo hired Dr. Pinsky, blah, blah, blah. There's some other things. He had paid Dr. Pinsky $100,000 in March, $175,000 in April. God, what a gig. Yeah, it's sure better than our gig. Wow. Of course, we at least can sleep at night, although I'm sure he can sleep at night, too. He's got plenty of pills he can take. Yeah, Dr. Pinsky noted that the drug <clears throat> uh, could explain a woman suddenly having 60 orgasms in one night. Yeah, this is bull crap, of course. The only reason that you would say that is to get air, people to buy it. To get, yeah, because some women who probably have trouble having orgasms think, well, maybe I should try this. This sounds pretty cool. Hey, women, if you're having trouble with orgasms, try a different guy. That's, <laughs> that's my suggestion. Jeez. Anyway, we called him on that. So um, I, I got to take a really unpopular stance on something here, but it's it's really been annoying me. I've been keeping I knew that this clip, which is 29 seconds from the BBC, I knew that it would come back and there was a reason for it. And this is how I track things. I got a pretty good system of archives and I and I, it's like, oh, I'll stick that away because I know what's going to come up. Uh, here's a clip from a few weeks ago as aired on the BBC. There are around 34 million people in the world who are infected with HIV AIDS. Of those, around a million will die this year as a result of the illness. Those fortunate enough to be given or to be able to afford treatment usually take a cocktail of antiretroviral drugs. Lots of pills, in other words. However, a new single pill drug for HIV treatment has been developed after extensive clinical trials in the U.S. It's called QUAD. So quad is a, a new pill that has had extensive clinical trials and it will. And uh, the recommendation actually is you might even just want to take quad just even if you're going to have sex. Uh, and you may have noticed uh, and I didn't pull a clip because it was it made me so angry. Uh, I couldn't even listen to it. But the FDA approved the first over the counter self administered HIV home test kit to detect the presence of antibodies to HIV type one and type two. And you do this by swabbing your cheek. Now, what's interesting about the story is, and we know that we, we've learned from uh, Gardasil that the testing guys and the guys who have the fix are always in bed together. So uh, the, the new systems that test for uh, HPV, for a human papillomavirus, uh, they are set to deliver a high set of uh, false positives so that the shot can be sold to you. And here we have... A uh, home testing kit for HIV, not for AIDS, but HIV type 1, type 2. And I, I've done a lot of research into this, and it's time for me to just take my stand and say it because I'm angry about this. Um, <clears throat> this, uh, this home testing kit has a 5% false positive of uh, when you don't have it <clears throat> and a 1% false positive if you do have it 
and it, so it wouldn't register. So in 99% of the cases, if you have uh, HIV vir- uh, antibodies, type 1, type 2, in your system, <coughs> excuse me, uh, only 1% of the times it will not correctly identify it. If you don't have uh, HIV type 1 and type 2 in your system, 5%, it will misdiagnose that. And of course, uh, the availability of the home use test kit provides another option for individuals to get tested so they can seek medical care if appropriate. Uh, and if you haven't, you re- basically, you get the kit, you test it, and uh, you should go anyway. That's basically what they're saying. Now, I am, not, I am one of millions of people, uh, but really the ones who speak out about it are very, very few. It's not a popular stance that the HIV, the human indeficiency virus, does not necessarily kill you. I believe the drugs that are then administered to you are the things that kill you. And I have seen this over and over again. Many people I know, friends, have died of AIDS. And the, the, there is a consensus in the scientific community as well, not just me, that if you go back to the 70s and the 80s, really, late 70s, 80s, when this was prevalent and why amongst gay men, because you have this uh, human in, uh, immune deficiency virus, which through healthy eating and vitamins, you can get rid of in a matter of weeks. But if you're doing all kinds of unhealthy things like, um, you know, doing poppers, snorting coke, drinking, doing crazy stuff. Why are you doing that? I think you've gone down the toilet with this one. I I am not. This is, a, this is what you used to hear. Hold on a second. Let me finish it. I seriously believe that HIV, can, that the virus, and I'm, John, there are, I have read at least 10 books about this. And there are many people in the gay community saying the same thing. So, you know, I've done more research than you have on this. And I believe that the drug, and with this test, this now proves to me they just want to get you on this freaking pill and none of it is good. Now, what now you're saying I'm going down the tubes on this? This is a this this particular spiel was very popular in the 90s and then it fell into disrepute. Much of it was promoted by uh, the retrovirus expert of experts uh, at the University of California, uh, whose name eludes me. By the way, the HIV thing began in the 80s, there was no 70s HIV, period. Um, despite all the reading you did. Uh, you know, it's, I, I've talked to, uh, people at Genentech and other places and they, they try, you know, cause when this thing first happened, uh, I remember reading about it when it first came out, uh, in, I think it was 83 when it first got discovered and it was becoming an epidemic really quick because nobody knew what the hell was going on. They, oh, the, the litany then was, well, just give it seven years. Seven years was the rule. Anything that we know we've identified in seven years, we can have a, vi- a virus, a vaccination for it. And then the problem was, of course, this thing was uh, a gene- I would rather hear the notion that this was, this was uh, dreamed up at uh, that, that Maryland uh, facility by the U.S. government to kill off half of Africa uh, than this, this spiel that these drugs are killing people, although the drugs are not healthy. And the fact that they would tell you just to take the drugs over the counter is probably not a good thing. I agree with that. 
So, um, so you have a very poor and weak argument. Of course, you didn't have the same amount of time to prepare well, as I, I didn't, did. I didn't have any. I didn't expect you to come off the wall with this. Uh, and AIDS most definitely uh, was detected in the 70s. I said late no. 70s. Most no. definitely. Most definitely. No. no, no, not most definitely. It was realized the term grid was misleading. AIDS was introduced in a meeting in July 1982. By September 1982, the CDC started using the name AIDS. Yeah, I'm talking about HIV. Not AIDS. I'm still not seeing anything HIV. In what are you looking at? The freaking Wikipedia? I'm looking at stuff. And, uh, and by the way, I have a similar stance on cancer as well. Well, Fine. No, and I'm not on the, uh, and, you know, it was like, I don't believe the monkey theory, like some guy had sex with a monkey. I don't believe any of that. And, I ha- and I've, I've done a lot of research on this. And I really think that, you know, people need to evaluate what's being pushed on them here in your so-called risk group. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's a positive thing, but uh, that's okay. Well, I know. So what, do you, what is your... Uh... Well, I, what I really despise, and I have the same... Okay, here's your single infection in 1969, blah, 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 HIV, 1978. You got, okay, you got me on that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember when it came to the four was in the 80s. Yeah, that's when uh, we decided it was a good scam. This, okay. Th- these cocktails. And it's what is it? Adam at curry dot com. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, and yeah. I'll I'll forward them to you. I guarantee you that a lot of people agree with me. Well, I'm sure there a lot of people agree with them. Let's face it. This thing has been around now that you mentioned since and my the own 70s, few, my own future. Or, or my, the, apparently, the well documented cases of HIV in a human dates back to 1959. They've done nothing about it. And my own future wife disagrees with me on this one. Now I don't I don't know if she's I don't think she's she's witnessed AIDS a lot more than I have, um, but I've you know I have stacks of books here, uh, and I'd be happy to put some links in the show notes if anyone uh, wants to read it. But I I really now with this thing where here's the test it has false positives oh but here's the pill and by the way you can just take this pill. This is bull crap. This, no, it's bullshit. It really is, and it's hurting people. They really had so in, in, before you run off and get your little test and then go through the whole system and the same, I, you know, I, same thing for the freaking elites who won't have a, a colonoscopy to check for prostate cancer because they know that, you know, the, the treatment's going to kill them. Yeah, well, it's like a, a Janet Napolitano won't walk through the naked body scanner. Exactly. But, uh, I, you know, I, I certainly you have until Sunday if you want to come back and revisit this and have a different opinion. But I don't believe it was dream, dreamed up as some virus to kill everyone in Africa. Uh, that's the, that's, the, human that's in, the Russian uh, theory. The human immune deficiency virus is an actual virus. It is, and it attacks your immune system. And, uh, you know, how, how do you then start to die is when you're taking all this crap that's killing your insides and your immune system can't keep up with it. Okay, this is going to this will be the this is what people want. They want this sort of thing in the second half of the show. They've been complaining bitterly. <laughs> you got it. This is not a cra- this is not I'm not crazy. That's what they wanted and you got it, ladies and gentlemen. Live with it. I'll give you crazy. There's a new uh primetime reality show coming out. Oh god. Very god. similar to Dancing with the Stars. It is called 
you're going to love this, stars earn stripes, celebrity cast, where star, I'll read the blurb here, uh, a fierce and emotionally charged new competition honoring America's armed forces. The, uh, <laughs> the cast includes... Citizen. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, where is it? Uh, I can't, I'm confused now. Where's my Hey Citizen? Hey Citizen. Uh, you're going to love this. The cast includes four-time undefeated world boxing champion Lila Ali, actor Dean Kane, otherwise known as Superman, actor and former National Football League player Terry Crews, and... Uh, Multi-platinum recording artist, actor, producer, and television personality, Nick Lacey. Lacey? I don't even know what this guy is. But the but who do you think is hosting this show? Uh, I'm going to find out. Now, well, normally you'd say Ryan Seacrest. That's what I was looking for that name. Yeah, and I couldn't no, come up no. with it. General Wesley Clark. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, citizen. Talk about co-opting the guy. Can you believe that? He's like, <laughs> unbelievable. listen, Wes, Wes, listen, man, you got, look, you, we know you did that thing where you, you gave everyone all the, all the countries we're going to invade. You know, we could have killed you, uh, but we're going to make you a deal. You're going to shut up and you're going to get your own reality show. Surprised you didn't have Mike Huckleberry. <laughs> How awesome is that? I can't wait. It debuts Monday, August 13th, 8 to 10 p.m. This is a this is a massive major ABC, I think it is. Surprise, surprise. I'm going to definitely be watching. Yeah. So I got a couple of other clips I want to get to. Uh, did you, did all the news came in. There's a really funny story that ran uh, on one of the, uh, uh, I think it was one of the versions of Al Jazeera. You know, Pakistan reopened. You know, those trucks have been held up for eight months. You know about this, right? The oh, in, uh, going in Pakistan, three, yeah. A hundred million dollars extra a month because we had to take a different route. Right, and most of the trucks didn't take the different route. They've been just sitting there for eight months. Before you, before uh, you get into that, can I just talk about the apology, or is that in your bit? It's in the bit. Oh, okay, because I have a thing about that. All right, go ahead. Go. So apparently they, you know, they, the Pakistanis had all these demands. And then it finally wrapped up with this, and you have to listen to this little, this is a shortened version of the report, but you'll, you'll see the humor uh, when this wraps. Anything from armored vehicles to common safety pins have been transported through Pakistan without any transit fee. During negotiations, the Pakistani side wanted $5,000 for every container, but that demand was dropped in the end. The government in Islamabad hailed the agreement to open the border crossing as a major breakthrough. The opposition plans to hold nationwide protests. Even though the Pakistanis would have wanted an apology from the U.S. president, it was the U.S. Secretary of State who called the Pakistani foreign minister to say sorry. And now it seems that was enough. For the Pakistanis to reopen those crucial supply lines. <laughs> First of all, if you ever die, this guy is my new co-host. <laughs> Isn't he great? <laughs> this guy rocks. It's very hard to talk with that little bit of lisp in that voice. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, this was. A, well, go ahead. Give me your. So apparently, analysis. you know, these Pakistanis was. You know, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Obviously, it's not being reported because no one tells us the real reality. But you know, they, we want an apology for this. It was the killing that the NATO uh, choppers did on a bunch of Pakistani yeah, troops. No, it was a drone, year. man. Wasn't it a drone? No, no, it was a real. It was a gunship. Oh, okay. And so they kill a bunch of guys. Yeah, and, like 24. Uh, Oops. And yeah. they demanded an apology from Obama. And so finally, Hillary, I don't know what she did behind the scenes, but she said she's sorry. And that was good enough. And then the things come back. It's just like the dumbest story ever. Well, this is what's interesting about the story. She didn't actually say she's sorry. <laughs> she didn't oh. say she was yeah. sorry. And there was a huge conversation in the State Department press briefing about it. How it cannot, I don't understand. They're in the press briefing. Victoria Newland, married to one of the guys who wrote the project for a new American century, you know, one of the guys who like, you know, wrote the whole script that coincidentally came true with the, the World Trade Center 9/11. That's just a little side note. She said the, the, the evidence is there. She did not say, "I'm sorry." And this doesn't make it onto the news. No what makes it onto the news is Hillary Clinton says, "I'm sorry, everything all good." Not true. Can you tell us what led the secretary to decide to use that word, we are sorry for the losses? Well, as Matt predicted, uh, I'm going to say that the statement speaks for itself, and I'm not going to parse the words that were used. Yes. There you go. <laughs> are we going to need money for that? <laughs> um, but, you know, as the statement makes clear, there were mistakes uh, made on both sides that led to the tragic loss of life, and uh, we are both sorry for those. But the, the, we are both sorry, though, on the next page, mm -hmm. the way it's printed out here. Uh, that sounds like we are sorry for what the terrorists did to us, right? Does I, that... Does that again, without, without, parsing, this, without par parsing the statement, I think the intent here is that we are both sorry for the losses suffered by both our countries in this fight against terrorists. Please. Is it fair to consider this an apology? Again, the statement speaks for itself. The words are all there, and I'm not going to improve on it here. So the lesson learned in this case is really to come out up front right away and apologize clearly without any you know, sort of uh, Saeed, that sounds like an editorial comment. Yeah, I think the statement, speaks, the statement yeah. speaks for itself, and as you know, we've been uh, working on this Glock issue for some time. Why did it take so long for this apology to come forward? Again, there were a lot of issues that needed to be worked through. You saw us do that at the technical level. You've seen us do it at the political level, and that's brought us to where we are here. But I guess the question really is, why did it take so long to come out and say sorry? I mean, this isn't an Elton John song here. Um, <laughs> sorry isn't the hardest word. I love this guy. Uh, to say it's pretty, it's pretty easy to say. I think the why, 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 you know, it's not a question about what, what about parsing the statement. Why did it? Why did it take so long? Well, as we've been clear about for quite these many weeks, there were a number of issues that needed to be worked through that allowed us to get us to where we are. Okay. Translation? She did not say we're sorry. She said, we are both sorry for what the terrorists have done, which is very different from what the media is telling you. Secondly, the fees remain in place. We still have to pay the transit fees. That's all over this. I didn't clip anything, but it's all over the... Uh, uh, over the press release on this. Uh, and what this means is that the pipeline deal is finally done. We've agreed to the pipeline 
the Tappy pipeline, which will uh, eventually go through Pakistan into India, and from India, uh, it'll continue on to China. So the deal is done. That's what this is all about. And she did not say, oh, sorry for killing your guys. Like, oh, we're really sorry for what happened on both sides. Total twisting of the actual facts. And not By before. the way, when she says, I don't want to parse it, she continues to parse it. That's what I found. That's what's weird. interesting. Hey, breaking news. Ha ha. Cyprus, uh, which uh, is broke. They were looking for a bailout from the EU and the IMF. Right. Headline news right now. Cyprus says the Russians are offering us a better deal. <laughs> oh, it can't get any funnier. So Russian pipeline with the Israelis up through Cyprus into Greece, into Europe. Another piece, another move on the chessboard, ladies and gentlemen. So how, what will the retaliation be from Turkey and uh, the Saudis? Something. I think we should blow something up. Well, something's going to happen. You can count on it. This is phenomenal. I love these. These chess pieces are great to watch. And then I think some of where somehow related to this is this Arafat story. Oh, the poisoning, the polonium story. Yeah. yeah. Here, play this clip from uh, from Van Cat. Uh, now you've confused me. It says Arafat still dead. <laughs> I was looking for Van Cat. Moving on now to other world news, Yasser Arafat may have been poisoned. Traces of polonium were found on the toothbrush and clothes of the late Palestinian president, according to a Swiss institute. His widow, Suha Arafat, has called for his body to be exhumed for further tests. Now, Arafat died at a hospital in Paris six years ago after a sudden illness which baffled doctors. Many Palestinians have long suspected he was murdered. Oh, I, I know. If the, the, the old toothbrush thing, I know what happened. He didn't tip the hotel maid. <laughs> they don't have access to polonium, <laughs> of all things. So how does this tie in? How do you feel that I ties in? I wonder myself. This whole story is weird. For one thing, it's showing up right now. Mm -hmm. It's an obvious spy story because polonium is one of those things that some, you know, the Bulgarians would use or something. Right. I think there's a connection between what's going on and this, and this thing coming to the fore. Hmm. I think that the tracks have been covered up by now to such an extreme that no one's going to figure it out. But I think there's something something important. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I don't and know. I mean, the story, this guy was as corrupt as it gets. I mean, the story definitely came out of left field. I hadn't quite parsed how it was going to work yet. So I, I really I don't know. I really don't know. Hmm. Well, we'll look into it. I'm also one of the things I'm listening to besides these, you know, I'm listening to Van Cat and all these different foreign news things. Where I'm, so I'm getting weird stories that you just don't hear. But uh, the Korean news I'm starting to listen to, which is really off the wall because their their context is uh, is generally wrong. So when they when they do analysis of something, like they try to explain something, they usually the explanation is, you know, like, well, play this one Korean news clip. Over 350 Russian musicians have donated songs to the so-called White Album, declaring their support for the opposition against Russian President Vladimir Putin. The title White Album comes from the color used by opposition supporters during street protests over the past six months. Musicians from all genre have submitted their songs. Wait a now, so she completely overlooks the White Album real genesis, right? The Beatles. Yeah, isn't... Uh, well, I'm just Googling this. Tell me that the... White album isn't coming uh, to iTunes or something like that. 
Oh, well, uh, Korean news is not that connected to our public relations machines. Mm. When you watch it enough, you go, these people are are just completely, I mean, they're <laughs> isolated. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, the, the one, uh, I don't think that, then that no. album, or the real Beatles White album might be, I think it's already on. on yeah, no, it's been on I, thought it, I thought it could be a PR story, but no, it isn't. I don't think so. No. Uh, and then there's another news story, which I didn't know about. Uh, the Did you know about the Airbus story, right? Uh, that they're saying it was pilot error? No, no, no. I'm talking about what they're up to. Play this. Oh, yeah. No, I do. They're, they're, uh, they're moving com- in. Yeah, they're, they're coming over. The giant European plane maker Airbus has announced it's setting up its first factory in the United States, home of its greatest rival, Boeing. Work on the half a billion euro plant in Alabama is scheduled to start next year with the production lines rolling by 2015. And while other companies, even in America, in aerospace business, are laying off, we hired 4,000 people last year and we'll do the same again this year. We go where the talent is. The goal is to produce up to 50 A320s a year in the United States, the heart of the world's biggest market for that kind of medium-range aircraft. Oh, well, this is an obvious quid pro quo. This makes so much sense. So we have the report today. This was nothing wrong with the aircraft. This is the Air France uh, flight that crashed uh, near Brazil. Nothing wrong with the aircraft. This was pilot error. And so here's how it works. Uh, Listen, dudes, listen. Um, I'll tell you what. If you tell everyone that our plane doesn't suck ass, we'll build a factory in Alabama. Well, what's interesting to me about the story is the fact that the U.S. government, in essence, has screwed over Boeing. Well, because yeah. Boeing wanted to re wanted to build some of its jet manufacturing pl- plants in the South, and the Department of Labor told them they they would be in violation of some labor laws because they have a unionized system up in Seattle, and and then Boeing you know had nothing but a struggle, and there and meanwhile the they, Airbus walks you know waltzes into Alabama and drops in a plant. I think there's more. I think there's something screwy going on. Well, there's always. Um there's always huge, there's so much money involved in this. Uh, in in aviation, do they make? They must make drones. Let's see. They make drones. They probably do. Why not? Let's see. Do they make drones? Let me see. Let's see. Airbus. Most of the drone companies seem to be independent little companies owned by these big guys, and it's hard to figure out who was really making the drones. Mm-hmm. Let me see if there's anything. They must be making a drone. I don't see anything offhand. Something to look into. Uh, but I'm, uh, as an airman, I'm, uh, I reject the, uh, the human element. You know, first of all, it just makes no sense. You know, it's like, well, the, the pitot tubes weren't working and therefore, um, you know, they made all the wrong decisions. It's like the number one thing you, well, not number one, one of the things you learn, even on a Cessna is you have your pitot tube heating, which in the smaller aircraft you turn on manually uh, so as not to burn out the uh, the elements uh, by having them on all the time. But the minute you go through clouds, you turn on your pitot tube. So if you're flying at altitude and they were at altitude, uh, typically if the pitot tube freezes over, there's no air pressure coming into the tube and you will get a, uh, you know, it'll basically the airspeed indicator will tell you you're flying very, very slowly. 
And if that is, you know, the case, you know, all the things that happened that they say happened on board of this, uh, this unfortunate flight make no sense, you know, that he was pulling the nose up. I mean, the, the whole thing is, is uh, I got to talk to some air guys about it, but uh, it, it sounds like a huge cover up. It really doesn't sound right at all. Well, Airbus is notorious for this. They, if you remember the old Paris Air Show where the one plane flew into the trees because uh, it wouldn't take off, because, and they blamed the pilot who said he was doing everything right, but the computer decided that yeah, these, because they were doing demonstrations, yeah, that these the are, computer was, was, was confused yeah. and drove the plane into the woods, yeah. and the guy lost his job. Yeah, these are fly-by-wires, so you don't have a direct hydraulic connection uh, to, the, to the control surfaces. And the computer, right, the computer is interpreting your the pilot. Yeah, the, and the computer is interpreting the joystick, and, uh, and it, it all runs on Windows NT. By the way, no joke, <laughs> it runs mm-hmm. on Win. Yeah, yeah, it runs on Windows NT, John. The, with the Airbus. Yeah, I'm yeah. not buying this. Okay, you yeah. gotta get me some documentation. That, of course, that. I don't know anything about aviation, so don't. But well, that it. doesn't mean you know about the software that runs the Airbus, just because okay. you can fly a plane. Oh yeah, that no, doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I do no research. Yeah. I want to hear this, the, the Windows NT. Right? I mean, I know a couple of Navy ships tried using Windows NT to operate, and they gave up on it. Okay, let's see. What OS does Airbus run on? Airbus 380 runs Windows. Yeah, it says it right there. What? Window- first hit. First hit. Well, that doesn't mean it's not running Windows as the as the entertainment software. <laughs> I'm telling you, it runs Windows NT. I'm telling you. This is why Windows NT had the POSIX system put in, because they couldn't get any government or aviation uh, contracts without it being a POSIX kernel. This is a, there's a long history of stuff. I'll, 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 I'll get you some documentation. I need right. documentation. <laughs> hey, meanwhile, we had a big scare, man. I mean, like, you know, all the newspapers in the UK were saying, hey, it looks like Al Qaeda is going to take down an airplane uh, over the Olympics. I'm sure you heard about this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, That's why they got the missile system up. And CNN, man, they I love it. They're like. Bring you the headline and then bring it right back down to debunking it. It's just, it was a beautiful piece. Next starting point, Al-Qaeda operatives may be plotting to take down a U.S. plane in the days leading up to the Summer Olympic Games in London. This is according to the Times of London. Al-Qaeda's Yemen-based terror cell is believed to be behind uh, the planning of this attack. CNN's intelligence correspondent Suzanne Kelly is, of course, on the security watch. She joins me live from Washington. Uh, Suzanne, what are your uh, sources telling you about this? Brooke, I'm really glad we're talking about this because there was a lot of hype and a lot of concern about this when these British papers came out with this reporting over the weekend and you know CNN has gone back and done the due diligence and spoke with both officials in the UK and the US who are all saying there is absolutely no specific credible threat <laughs> about bringing down a US bound airliner anytime around the Olympics now that being said like ixnay ixnay on the al qaeda a owning day of etj okay uh, there's no etray keep in mind that the president did meet with his national security team last week and they did talk about efforts to prepare for keeping uh, the 4th of July festivities secure, um, of course, working with their British counterparts on the Olympics. But again, 
no specific threat. So mm. it sounds like there may be a little bit more hype here than fact. Oh. One thing to tell you, though, is the Department of Homeland Security has come out and said that their security posture, and I'm quoting from them here, includes a number of measures both seen and unseen. Ah, unseen. Secret measures. These are the best kind. The ones unseen. that you don't. Unseen. And we will continue to respond appropriately <laughs> to protect the American people. And what they're really asking is for people to be vigilant and pay attention. The hey. Director General of MIT. <laughs> citizen. Pay attention. Five, um, however, just recently came out and publicly said Al-Qaeda does remain a very serious threat. They're still plotting. They're still trying to find ways to uh, attack. But again, according to U.S. government officials and officials in the U.K., there's no specific threat tied to the Olympics right now. Brooke. Okay. Yeah, you better just, just stay like away from all the events. <laughs> Kelly. So, uh, stay away from all the events. So she, uh, she talked about uh, MI5. Uh, so MI5, MI6 is kind of the, the UK, Gitmo Nation East equivalent of MI, of uh, FBI, CIA. So we have a new uh, boss at the BBC, a new director general. Uh, related to one of these intelligence agencies, I bet. Yeah, this is George Entwistle. And he has an interesting record. Uh, in 2001, he took over as editor of BBC Newsnight less than 24 hours before the 9-11 attack. Kind of interesting. How that, uh, was that the same BBC that uh, said WTC7 had collapsed 20 minutes before it did? You don't think that that's just coincidence, probably? In 1993, he joined On the Record as a producer where he won the nickname General Sir George Entwistle because of a track record of accurate items that he could bring about the military's history and he had an obsession with tanks and guns and stuff. I like this stuff stuff. <laughs> this is a, you know, and this is how it works. You know, you get the new boss and he is a shill for the intelligence services. And uh, just like our Syrian uh, friend who uh, defected, uh, we're obviously uh, headed towards a huge amount of propaganda in Gitmo Nation East. This guy is, uh, he's a, he's a player. He's a real he's player. He's a goofy looking guy. Yeah, he's very goofy. He wears uh, jumpers. He wears like little sweaters that you wear over your shirt. <laughs> Twitter came out with their transparency report. Um, and what that means is uh, they have uh, compiled a list of government requests received for user information, government requests received to withhold content, and DMCA takedown notices received from copyright holders. And I'm looking at this list and I can't believe that there's not a single Arab Spring country on the list. Yeah. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> Seriously. Not a single one is on the list. Huh. So, so these countries, I get no one asked for anything. No one's doing any. I mean, you think at least that Randy Corbin, what's his name? Uh, Carvin. <laughs> and, Carvin. Andy Carvin. Your it, buddy. Yeah. I guess, I guess his word is good enough, right? We don't need to check and see if anyone's for real on that thing. Just just phenomenally awesome. Really good. Of course, no one's looking at that story. Of course not. And then I have the final... Uh, I think we can actually play uh, the, ga- the jingle for this. To the gate, to the gate, to the climate gate. Ah, Yes. I was watching PBS as a part of my healthy news diet. Because, you know, that's uh, public television, John. That's uh, 
that is uh, supposed to be uh, fair, balanced, unbiased, uh, all of this stuff, right? Would you agree? Oh, there absolutely. So uh, Kevin Trenberth uh, was on the show, and uh, he is a climate scientist at the U.S. National Center for Atmospheric Research, and he was discussing uh, the correlation between extreme weather and uh, man-made global warming. Now, we know from um, all the reports when it got really cold and it was snowing, uh, we were told that uh, weather is not climate, right? Right. Okay. That's what they went on and on about. Right. Weather is not climate. Climate is something different. Right. Okay. So I was more than prepared to hear that again on the PBS, the extremely accurate, you know, publicly funded. I mean, that got commercials, but that's just pff, pay no attention to that. Uh, and I was surprised to hear the following. And so these areas where the really hot and dry conditions leading to wildfires have, is moving around, it, it, we certainly don't expect them to occur every year, but we do expect more of them. The odds are changing uh, for these to occur hmm. with uh, climate change, with oh. the global warming oh. from the human influences oh. on climate. Human well, influence. that's what I wanted to ask you about. To a scientist, <laughs> what does this say is going on? <laughs> What a, right off the script, by the way. Well, as a scientist, what, 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 what is going on? Well, I think it's, you know, you look out the window and you see climate change in action. Oh! <laughs> yeah, I saw climate change in action last night. It drove For the 40th year in a row, I go out to watch the fireworks in San Francisco, but a big layer of fog rolls in and blocks all the fireworks. And that uh, I'm waiting for that to change because of global warming. But no, I think I saw climate change drive by on a 10 speed bike. I, I, I saw it in accident, looked out the window like, what's that, honey? Oh, don't, don't worry. that's just climate change. This is the way it gets manifested. There's normal <laughs> weather events. There, there's the normal seasons. If we have June temperatures in March, well, you know, we have experienced them before because we get them in June. If we have a very mild winter, actually, people like that because the winter isn't as cold. <laughs> but we're breaking records then. Now we're breaking Ooh. records, but we're in the, in the peak of the heat season, and now we're going outside of the realm of conditions previously experienced. And so that's when the damage really becomes extreme, and we get all of these wildfires, uh, houses have been burned, <laughs> tremendous damage uh, to the environment. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and We've never had you know, a wildfire before. No, no. Never happens. No, only with uh, man-made uh, global warming does this happen. Because you can look out the window and you can see climate change right out Consequences there. to come with regard to uh, things like uh, bugs that have survived the relatively warm winter. Ah, bugs. the bugs, John. Stay bugs. tuned for the swarm of bugs, which will be blamed on <laughs> man-made global warming. The locusts are coming. So these are all manifestations of climate change that we expect to see more of. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I misunderstanding what he's saying? He's saying weather is, weather is uh, man-made. I don't know what he's saying. The guy's an idiot. As time goes on. <laughs> and, and I just was hearing a few minutes ago that, uh, there, that the Weather Service reporting more than 2,000 uh, record temperatures matched or broken just in the last week. Yes, well, of course, the... It's easy to break an individual record because a weather system just happens at that particular location. 
With an unchanging climate, you expect that the number of highs and the number of low temperature records are about the same. And that was the case in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And then by the 2000s, we were breaking high temperature records at a ratio of about two to one over cold temperature records. But this year, we've been breaking high temperature records at a rate of about 10 to one. And, you know, I mean, ironically, there are some still, still some cool spots, mainly in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, and ironic. Cold temperature records continue to be broken. So breaking records is not an indication of climate change, but breaking records at a rate of 10 to one versus the cold records, that's a clear indication of climate change. Uh. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. The science is in. Science! Science! Hey, I want to remind people to send us a note or a letter or a question for the show that we're working on, which is show 200.6. We're taking, uh, we're going to do questions and answers for, you know, if you have some question about the show or how it got started or anything like that. Uh, we only got five questions. Oh, no, so I got a lot. I got a lot of questions. They're well, sending what in. You a- got a question for this? Not, you can't ask ourselves a question. What's my favorite black color? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> no, no, no. They're asking good questions. I got some really nice questions. Oh, you got some? Okay. Yeah, I got, I got great questions. I, right. I got questions like, who is this clippity clop you keep speaking of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some newbies, I guess, don't get some of the well, stuff. Well, that, that's why to. we're going to do the show. That's and on Sunday, by the way, I want to mention there's a long uh, Reverend Manning clip that I had to, I was at 20 minutes and I have to cut it down to like six or seven minutes where he goes on a crazy rant. But he starts off really sedate and then he gets wild at the end. And it's actually going to be quite funny to listen to. I do have a, a, a teaser. You can see where it's headed from my little intro here. Uh, what am I playing? God, you're off to, you're terrible today. Yeah, I suck. You're always nailing these. Yeah, well, I suck. It says Reverend Manning intro. Oh, you mean this clip? (laughs) I want everybody to try to understand, I'm not a right winger, I'm not a left winger, I'm not a liberal, I'm not a conservative, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I'm a Christian. I'm not even black, actually. And I have a role to play in Christianity as a preacher, as a pastor, of which I have been doing for 30 years and will continue to do. My parish, if you will, is located in the community known as Harlem, but I preach to the world God's unadulterated word. Now, I do not see the world politically, and so therefore, please understand that. I only see things spiritually. At present, the reason why so much of my time and energy has been spent dealing with Obama is because Obama is the son of Satan. If he was just another politician, then I would probably be very casual at the most about him as I was with George Bush or with Bill Clinton. But when, when a preacher looks up and he sees that Satan has sent one of his sons, then... I spend every waking moment of my day talking about the fact that Satan's son is here. <laughs> yeah, and my age theory is nuts. <laughs> Hold on a second. Now, get out there and whoop Obama's behind
I got to start watching him again. I'm behind on my Reverend yeah, Manning. This is uh, the latest thing he did, so he'll catch us up. Well, there's a lot of people who have this theory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> son of Satan. <laughs> son of Satan. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have they that. They had the same thing with Bush. Well, but I think you'll find it highly educational huh. or, uh, or uh, entertaining. It'll be for Sunday show. All right. So we would really like you to consider us uh, in your media diet, which is a, should be a healthy one. And we provide value for value. Uh, we're doing all kinds of work. As you can tell, uh, I think we've done more. Look, news happens, right? News is everywhere. It used to be that at least people would report some of the news, and then you'd get crappy analysis. So we started off this program by bringing you some different and, I think, better analysis. But now we actually have to go and find out the news because the news is not even being reported. No, and it, I'm sorry, except if uh, Taco Bell has a new healthy gourmet meal. That is, what, that is the news that is being served to you. Uh, and we ask you for a value for value donation at Dvorak.org slash N-A. Right? You nailed it. <laughs> All right. People are already sending me stuff I'm quite familiar with, but I'm forwarding it on to you, John. You definitely want to take a look at the documentary House of Numbers. I forwarded the email to you so you can take a look. And I'm happy to send you some Amazon books. Now the Dvorak household is on Kindle. I'm reliably informed. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, in the chat room. Noagendastream.com, noagendachat.net, Dvorak.org, slash NA. We will be back again on Sunday. Uh, Miss Mickey's birthday. Oh. Yes, I should uh, point that out. That's Mickey, M-I-C-K-Y, no E. And coming to you here uh, from the uh, capital of the Drone Star State, Camp Mofo, where I'm obviously still suffering from severe IED in the morning. I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where we're still celebrating America's independence, I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll be back on Sunday right here on No Agenda. Dvorak.org slash N-A